Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. This is Election Night with the Ben Jarofsky Show. And now your host, Ben Jarofsky. I have, not, I have not left this microphone. I've just been sitting here calculating uh, what Biden needs to do to win, losing my mind. Maya has not left her microphone. If you recall, Maya was on the regular show about four hours ago. It seems like 10 hours ago. She's been steadily drinking ever since. Just kidding. She hasn't been really drinking. And uh, so she's going to join me for have the first time. Have I not been, though? <laughs> oh, that'll be Maya's secret. Secret, secret. Secret, <laughs> secret. All right. I wish I were drunk because you know what? This is an exact repeat of 2016. Oh, my God. It told I mean, it I, it just seems to be rolling downhill. I don't know why the Democratic Party continues to run these milquetoast candidates, lose and then run some more milquetoast candidates. Because the conventional wisdom has un, been unchanged since 1972. The only way to win is run a centrist. And then just want and the leftists to join the board. Way to lose. It's a great way to lose. They just keep losing. All right. Uh, before we get too fatalistic uh, for the Democratic fans out there, and I got a feeling most of the people listening to this are Democratic fans. Before we get too fatalistic, let's just point out that Donald John Trump has not won re-election yet. OK, uh, the polls have just closed throughout the, the eastern states. And uh, so it's not over yet. Although Maya and I are drinking from. I, OK, I'll be honest, Maya. I was hoping at this time that the polls would be showing, oh, my God, Florida, what a decisive victory for Joey B. And it's exactly the same. So we know uh, where things are coming down. All right, let me run this by you, Maya. This is the situation. I'll be repeating this all night. 538 total electoral votes. Remember, the popular vote doesn't matter in our crazy system. Uh, to win, you got to get 270. Last time, Trump got 306. Hillary got 232. That means Biden needs to flip 38. 38. And he's That's the president. That's, That's a, well, you know what? He could, uh, if he flips Texas, that's 38 votes right there. Yes. So Texas is big daddy, and we'll be talking about that later. Uh, David Ferris will be coming on. Uh, Texas, the, it's still early there in terms of... Uh, 65% uh, of the votes have been reported, and it's neck and neck there right now. Yeah, and I, I have no idea where the votes are and where the votes are. All right, Maya, help me out. You know a little bit about Florida, don't you? You've been to Florida. Yeah, oh yeah. I know it, a thing or two about it, Florida. Right now, Trump... Trump is up in Florida. I, I get a sneaking suspicion he's going to win in Florida. The New York Times is sort of projecting it, although they don't come right out and say it. So uh, Florida is one of my states. 29 electoral votes. You flip that. That's a big step in the right direction for Biden. And if that was an early flip, we'd be jeweling. What is it about Florida? It's He did a horrible job connecting with conservative Florida Latinos. Biden really did a horrible job with that. And Unlike the kind of stereotype of the Latino voter, Florida has a basically 
a, a very, very diverse Latino population, a huge base of conservative voters um, who are, you know, Cuban and Venezuelan and who kind of ended up in this country because of um, uh, problems they faced in their home countries with leftist governments. So it's a very kind of right leaning um, group because of various historical reasons. And um, there's a lot of older voters as well. And basically, Biden, I think the the Biden team strategy was just weak with connecting with that demographic. And then on the other side, you know, like places like Nevada were a huge part of the Latino vote went to, I mean, that's where Bernie Sanders was doing so well. And there the Biden people, I think probably messed up in terms of, you know, just picking those folks as super left and really not doing much to connect with their concerns with the issues. Um, So, I'll be actually curious to see which, if any, Latino vote Biden did well with. And probably it's going to be, um, I don't know, places on the East Coast. Well, let's go back to Florida for a moment, because I, I listening to what you were saying, it makes a lot of sense. And this we can realize how difficult a challenge it is, because think about it. You start off by saying the Democrats run the same old, same old uh, who uh, centrist candidates who don't ignite their base. And then you pointed out that Biden didn't connect with a more conservative group of, of Latino voters in Florida, many of whom are Cuban-American and anti-communist. And um, their worldview is clearly colored by the experiences either they or their uh, parents, uncles or aunts, et cetera, had in, with Castro in Cuba. So yeah. it, how could he do both if he goes too far left to pick up uh you know, uh, voters, populist voters, if you will, people who would be uh, would be attracted to that kind of uh, leftist appeal. He'll lose those uh, Latino yeah, voters that are so crucial. You can't, you, look, you can't sit on two two chairs at once. You can't. And you just have to pick a side and put, you know, everything you've got into it. That's what the people do on the right. I mean, that's exactly what Trump did. He picked a side and he just, you know, the gambit was that there was more people there, more people who would be attracted to that. And so he was pandering to the extreme right the whole time. And turns out there's like plenty of people who are ready to get on board with something that feels, that feels definitive, you know, whereas like, you know, the Democrats are continuing to think that like there's this magical world of suburban moderates, people who are just like really don't know until the last minute who they're going to vote for. And they're just preoccupied with like decency and moderation. And it's like, no, I mean, the people like that are in, in like the in, definitely in the minority, not just in this country, probably in any society. So I just feel like there's this imaginary world of like, reasonable people out there democrats keep throwing their candidates at and what we're seeing more and more is that people are willing to go with anyone who seems to have a position on things and the democrats are really missing an opportunity to present some real viable alternatives well i think uh, your analysis is looking pretty good in florida right now uh i I, i'm not certain i'm still trying to remember how it was that obama won florida in 2008 and uh, that I think he he well, lost it in 2012. I don't have my uh, cheat sheet in front of me. And then of course Trump won in 2016. But this is an exact replica. And one thing I did notice: uh, Biden's votes are up 
uh, significantly over what Hillary Clinton got in Florida. The Democrats' but, ground game in Florida this election cycle was terrible. The, the, the Trump's people were out there door knocking week, weeks, weeks and weeks and weeks before before the Democrats got any kind of presence out in the neighborhoods. So the Florida Democratic operation was just really, really, um, really kind of weak and skinny and just like bare bones. Um, so I think that that is another factor that mm-hmm. that that we're seeing play out here. Um, the Republicans, again, wagered that more people would care to be talked to face to face and are pissed about, you know, the COVID restrictions and whatever. And, um, you know, it looks like they're probably once again, they made the right call. Dennis, you have something you want to say? Yeah, uh, we got Tracy here. She's coming up here. But real quick, just on the local front, uh, the fair tax amendment looks like right now at this moment, uh, no on the fair tax is at 54 percent. And yes, for the fair tax is at 45 percent. So is that statewide? County? Uh, that's what it says here. Illinois income tax, Illinois amendment, remove flat, uh, according to what's site here, WGN. So, okay. okay. All right. Uh, Tracy Bame has joined us uh, and she's our, uh, our guru at the Chicago Reader, my beloved Chicago Reader uh, and Maya's beloved Chicago Reader as well. Uh, Tracy, you missed the first part of the conversation where Maya and I were pulling our hair out and wondering what in the world uh, is going on with Florida. I have this whole uh this cheat sheet, Tracy, of the, the states that Biden has to win to flip it. And Florida was a key state, so I'm going to have to take that off. Do you have any insights, uh, Tracy, before you oh my. talk about uh, the, my beloved Chicago reader? Any insights of what's going on in Florida? Why they love Trump so much? God, I don't understand this country that we're in right now. I, you know, it, I, I have no more insights than all the people that are talking on, on TV right now. Um, that say they know what they're talking about, but they don't. Nobody really knows what's going to happen. I, I do hope that this doesn't linger on too long because the Democrats' backbone is pretty weak in terms of fighting this kind of stuff based on their 2000 non-fight Florida. So I'm hoping that it's far more determinative quickly um, and that Michigan, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania, there's a shot at um, because Florida is too tricky. Um, it screwed us before. Yes, it has. It screwed us in 2000, and in 2016, uh, it was worthless. And I, I guess it was. I was just uh, drinking the Kool Aid, uh, Tracy. That I even had it. It's, it's one of my states. You, got, you mentioned Michigan, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin. Uh, I'm so desperate. Two congressional districts: one in Nebraska, one in Maine, Arizona, Florida, Georgia, North Carolina, Texas. Uh, Florida, <laughs> I think I'm going to have to strike uh, Florida off of the list. And part of the reason why it's so important, and this gets into what I want you to discuss about our other uh, reader, part of the reason I asked you to come it's on. the local news situation. Yes. <laughs> it's the local news situation. It's playing a, it's playing a role. A deteriorating new, local news ecosystem plays a role in this. I 100% agree. Um, the, it's really shocking to me how the progressive billionaires have basically ceded the media battle in this country, um, county by county, city by city, rural area by rural area. They, we have been telling them for 25, 30 years how important radio and local community-based media is to fighting, well, first of all, no, we know with Trump fighting the disinformation campaigns, 
um, but also just fighting the local corruption, the, you know, the, the elected officials and watching them on a local level. And I think this election shows that entities like Sinclair um, and these fake sites that have been, the, the New York Times had a big investigation, I think it was, yep. um, that showed you know thousands of basically fake sites where you can buy your own media um, are dominating on a local level. And either people are believing it all or they're tuning all of us out equally because they can't, they don't have time to separate the truth from the, the absolute lies um, that Sinclair and Trump and others are perpetrating. I, whatever happens in this election, we have to continue this message that local media has to be saved. Um, a, you know, local media that has actual journalists and actual editors um, doing this work. Um, you know, we're lucky in, in Chicago, we have a lot, great media ecosystem, but it's teetering. Um, as we know with the reader, with us doing some furloughs and, and people taking days off, um, we know that almost every major media outlet in Chicago, except the Sun-Times probably, has suffered some kind of layoffs and furloughs this year. And we can't afford that in Chicago, and they certainly can't afford it downstate Illinois and other rural areas. Yeah. All right. Talk a little bit, uh, Tracy, about the, the situation at the reader. Maya and I had a, a smaller discussion about it uh, at the first part of the show about two o'clock this afternoon. But give folks uh, the update on the situation at the reader and what they could do to help uh, if they want to help, because our voice is an important voice uh, for progressive politics or lefty politics, whatever you want to call it. So go ahead. So when we took over about two years ago as a newly independent reader, uh, we knew that at some point the owners that saved it were going to run out of the ramp. They weren't going to endlessly fund it. And so about a year ago, we started the process to convert to nonprofit news. Um, we were relatively on track. You know, it wasn't an easy path forward, but we were relatively on track in, in terms of uh, removing ourselves from that support network um, by the end of this year. And when COVID hit, we pivoted as much as we could, as quick as we could to find new revenue streams, put out new projects. You and uh, Maya both have a book coming, books coming out um, later this uh, fall. Um, anything we could to raise money, we did get PPP. So we held off uh, any uh, layoffs, furloughs, any days off uh, until this point. But we're near the end of owner support. Um, and we are just this week launching the nonprofit uh, part of the reader. Ironically, because of PPP, we can't fully get to nonprofit status as quickly as we'd like because we can't convert that loan uh, to be forgiven and also convert it to the nonprofit at the same time. We have to wait many months for the SBA to hopefully give that, forgive that loan before the, the for-profit can shut down. But we have launched the nonprofit. Um, within the next week or two, donations to the reader will be converted over to the nonprofit so that people that are looking to do it as a tax deductible donation um, can do so. Now that doesn't affect usually your typical $10 a month donor. But what that means is when we go to a, a you know middle class or upper middle class or wealthy donors, they're, we're not asking them to give money to a for-profit, which is weird, right? A lot of them don't do it. Some foundations will, but most individual people won't. Now we're gonna be able to ask them to do this to a, a true nonprofit. Um, and, and so we just needed more ramp time and we ran out of the ramp because COVID diverted us by eight months to our plan. Um, what we're trying to do right now is flatten our, our just leaking of uh, uh, expenses, may primarily tied to uh, staffing. That's the bulk of our costs now. We went to a biweekly print run to save money on print costs and delivery, but there's not really much else we can do except ex try to diminish the out uh, you know, the outlay of money every two weeks. 
um, while we convert to this nonprofit, while we look to a donor supported network um, to work. So it's really to buy us time. Um, we know that the vast majority of our advertisers, which we lost in March, are not coming back this winter. Um, their music venues, theater companies, dance companies, et cetera. We're trying to find other kinds of revenue from other advertisers, but really with the economic devastation happening with business community, we are least the 80, 90% of advertising we lost. At the same time, we're pivoting to nonprofit. So it's really a, a tricky mix. And we, what's, I really, really appreciate the staff um, doing what they can. Um, some people could and some people couldn't. Some people have done a lot and some people can't. And we're trying to make it as flexible as possible and not do it one size fits all like a lot of companies are doing. We're trying to say, you know what, if, if we don't want anybody to be homeless. We don't want anybody to be without insurance. We want to figure out a way, a, a path forward to get through the next three to six months while we pivot on as much different kinds of revenue as we can. Yeah. And, you know, there's a, a relation, obviously, to the rest of the economy, which is why I find the news out of Florida so distressing, because it seems so disconnected from where we are right now in the middle of this pandemic, which there's so much need in this country, Tracy, so many businesses uh, that just are vulnerable and could go under the restaurant business here, which is so linked to the reader uh, for so many years, we get so much of our ad revenue from the restaurant business. The restaurant uh, industry in in Chicago and Illinois is really in bad shape because of the pandemic. And you would think that a sign from Washington of more assistance just to help everybody stay afloat would uh, be a motivating factor to get people to vote against Trump because he's done nothing on this front since that first go around, Tracy. And that's part of why I find it so frustrating. Take it away. Well, my senator started this. The problem is that starting with Ronald Reagan, we have de-emphasized education in this country. People have voted against their own interests based on social issues for decades. The Republicans have been able to pull the wool over literally on uh, the the working class and the lower middle class. They have literally diverted their attention to other shiny objects while they steal from them. They do, never bring back the jobs they say they're going to bring back. They never actually do anything they said they're going to do. And this time around, Trump didn't even bother to say anything that he was going to do because it's always been a lie. And it, he got yeah. away with it. We are, he didn't we even make any promises. Yeah, yeah, empty promises. He didn't even bother to do promises. We've dumbed down this country to the point where they've made it a race war and a class war. And meanwhile, working class whites have far more in common with people of color, LGBTQ people and women than than they do with Donald Trump in his class. It's it's just the epitome of Reagan realized. And mm -hmm. now the Republicans can't even control it. <laughs> I agree. But I also want to add that at the big, you know, the 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 voter suppression machine that has been just full steam ahead for years yep. is really this is this is this is the spoils of that this is like i mean what we're seeing is the result of calculated systematic voter suppression efforts around the country um you know designed to really demoralize and disenfranchise younger voters black voters uh, working class voters so i mean i'm not saying anything new here this isn't any kind of you know this is this is kind of a well understood thing by now i think but i just at what point do the democrats say okay you know what we've got nothing left to lose 
they always feel like you know they're gonna just eke out a win with the, the you know <laughs> the suburban white women just you know oh like we're gonna get one more one more uh you know senate state state senate seat mm-hmm. you know one more house of representatives seat and I think just increasingly they're just ignoring such huge swaths of the population. While on the other side, that same swath of population is just getting like their voting rights are getting constantly infringed upon. Yeah. So, yeah. We look at these lines as heroic, but these lines aren't heroic. They're, they're, they're not representative of what our democracy should be. They're disenfranchising. They, the 700,000 voters in Florida that were former, you know, convicted felons and, and other misdemeanors, they weren't supposed to be still purged, right? But then they made a poll tax. Um, so really, it, they are. They're suppressing the vote everywhere they can in the courts and in an actual uh, voting booth. They're not, you know, in, in the primary this year in Wisconsin with those lines in Milwaukee. That was criminal behavior, um, that the Republicans do, and it does disenfranchise people either because they they don't show up because they're so frustrated, um, or because they can't spend that kind of time voting. All right, I'm just going to do some updates. Uh, none of the news is particularly good uh, if you're of the Democratic persuasion. And again, I keep saying the same thing, uh, Tracy and Maya. I'm looking. Uh, I'm not looking at the popular vote. That, of course, doesn't matter. So I'm looking at states that Joe Biden has to win, that Hillary lost, that he has to flip. One was Florida. Um, he's down three percentage points to Trump with 93 percent of the vote in. Uh, another is North Carolina. He's ahead with 1.8 percent of the vote biden is ahead but uh it's not clear where those votes have been tabulated or where they've been counted uh tracy so don't know if he can flip north carolina that's still very much up in the air and trump's ahead 15 percent uh in georgia with 39 percent uh of the vote uh calculated so those were three states that the Democrats were hoping to compete uh, in uh, following Maya, the, the tactic, the strategy that Maya laid out, where you pick up uh, swing voters, uh, enough suburban women uh, to flip the vote. Tracy, do you think that the Democrats would have had better success if they had just gone to a, a just a more of a populist leftist appeal? I think that this country is rigged against the Democrats in a pretty big way right now. So I'm not sure if Sanders could have beat this either. Um, I don't, or, or Warren, I, I just don't know because they look, looking at what Hillary did in some of these districts, Biden's not even performing as well as Clinton did. And they thought for sure his more, you know, his approach. Um, I don't know if Sanders would have outperformed both of them. Um, I don't know that, you know, obviously the next time around, maybe that's going to be the experiment if this doesn't work this way. I, I don't think we know yet, right? Tonight, I'm not, I am kind of defeatist right now looking at the trends. Um, but until we really have the results in, we'll have to see. This country isn't quite leftist yet. Um, and yeah. so I don't know that Sanders would have had the momentum either. COVID really, you thought, I mean, I thought COVID would be the final nail in Trump's coffin. He literally has caused the death of 230,000 Americans. Uh, how many Benghazis is that? And it still wasn't enough because <laughs> he controlled the narrative on it. He made it seem like it was nothing. It's not killing important people. You know, I mean, he really unbelievably turned the narrative on a murder of 200,000 people, 230,000 people so far. Um, I don't understand it. I, I obviously it goes back to this, uh, fake news that, that he, he creates mm-hmm. and the media just follows it. Even mainstream media that should know better gives him those headlines he wants, um, about, you know, because they're trying to seem like they're fair, but then the headline is all that people see. 
Yeah, no. And by the way, just one more time, not to be fatalistic, like Tracy said, we're just, these are just the states that I was uh, emphasizing are the ones that I was hoping. See, I was hoping, Tracy, that at this stage, uh, the that old strategy that Maya laid out would have worked. And all these swing voters in suburban districts in, uh, in Florida had flipped and Trump was down in Florida. And it was like the... Uh, the first step toward that electoral college victory. So all we're doing is taking off states that buy, uh, that were like eligible, flip, flippable states. Do you follow what I'm saying? So we could be singing a whole different talk, song a week ago about the genius of the Biden campaign and the brilliance, their insight, the way they cultivated those votes. And Maya will be singing a whole different song. No, she won't. I know Maya. She will not be singing a different song. Um, I only ever sing one song. <laughs> <laughs> it's that Maya song. She sings it loud and she sings it proud. Uh, but, Maya, do you think a Sanders this year or even in four years could could do it? Well, in four years, I'm afraid our man Bernie's just going to be. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. It's a little, you know, that's not, that's not great. Whoever it is, though, I mean, look, like, I think that it's just we're never going to know until we try. And I feel like. If the Democrats put their money actually behind Sanders in, you know, in conjunction with all of the grassroots support he has, you know, it's it's possible. If there's a good ground game, it's possible. It's possible to make a dent in this, I think. Um, if they organize, you know, if they, org- if they help people get to the polls, if they help people actually access the vote. Um, well, I mean, this, this has been an impressive election on that front. Um, you know, in four years, Ocasio-Cortez is going to be 35. We're in a cult of personality type country. Um, it might be that it's going to totally take true. a real vibrant young person um, with, a, with a great matching vice presidential candidate or vice versa that maybe she's the she's the future of the party. I, I think she's the future of the party if the party lets her, if they don't destroy her um, in the process because they yeah. are afraid of her. Yeah. yeah, I think you're right. Well, this is one thing about Democrats when it comes to the left. And by the way, we're going to have a whole bunch of lefties coming on the show to defend their point of view. Stacey Davis Gates is coming on the show. State Senator Robert Peters is uh, coming on the show. And uh, so a lot of lefties will be coming on to defend. Uh, David Ferris will be on the show. He's been this is one of his big uh, his ideas uh, about the Democrats being more aggressive. But the reality is this, uh, Tracy, if they are going to Alexander Ocasio-Cortez is going to to be the next force in the Democratic Party. And I obvious Bernie, uh, his best days are behind him. I love him dearly. I voted for him twice, but obviously he's not the future. The Democrats are not going to, can't run away from the counterattack that they're going to get from Republicans. Do you follow what I'm saying? Like in the debate, if you recall, when Trump said socialized medicine, uh, Joe Biden would shake his head and go, no, it's not socialized. Like they're afraid. They're afraid of the labels that the Republicans put on them. And <laughs> it's like your point. Trump doesn't care what you say about him. You, you, you know, he doesn't care. He just keeps. They have to be on the offensive instead of the defensive. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I need to. Get, I, yeah, I need to. I need to uh, go cool off. I've reached my. <laughs> I've reached my level of 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 just that you know, spec wild speculation. 
All right, we're about to move to our next se- segment. Rose, um, Rose has joined us. Before I let you go, Tracy, uh, just give another shout out for the reader. If folks want to get in touch with you for ad- for ads, if they want to give contributions, whatever they need to know to help the reader. Chicagoreader.com slash store has all sorts of merchandise, but also ways to donate um, and join as a monthly member, $5 and up a month. Um, and tbame at chicagoreader.com if you want any, have any other questions about the reader, advertising, anything else you need to know. Thank you very much for having me. All right, Tracy Bame, Maya, take, uh, take care. Uh, Rose Colosino is with us. We're going to take a brief break and bring Rose back on, D. Just take a little break so I can drink some water. We'll be right back with Rose Colosino talking about the early votes and what it looks like for Joey B. Stick around, everybody. Of course, he's a big bully. Our senator brought him down to size. I said no way when Trump tried to kick more than half a million people off health insurance. I fought back when he played games with protective gear and pandemic relief for Illinois. And I stopped Donald Trump from cutting funding for medical research. I'm Dick Durbin. My job is to stand up for you. That's why I approve this message. Dick Durbin, a senator for times like these. I'm Jim Oberweiss, and I approve this message. Lauren Underwood was asked if she condemns rioting twice. Uh, Congresswoman, you have not condemned rioting. You have failed to condemn rioting. Her response? With respect to rioting and looting, you know, I think that we have seen many instances of beautiful protests. Beautiful protests, beautiful protests, beautiful protests. Riots are not beautiful. They're ugly. Vote against rioters and anyone who enables them. Vote against Lauren Underwood. Welcome back to Election Night with the Ben Jarofsky Show. Benny J, take it away. All right. Rose Colosino is with her from Indivisible, uh, Chicago, Indivisible, Illinois, I should say. Rose, you've been on this show several times. Uh, you're our woman, our, our go-to person for what's going on in Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania. And it's been a little gloomy uh, outset to this, uh, Rose. So try to bring up the spirits a little bit. And uh, the way I lay it out is this, Rose. Uh, Joe Biden needed to flip uh, 38 38 electoral votes and I was hoping that Florida with 29 would really push them in that direction and it doesn't look good in Florida right now so it looks like in many ways Rose we're going back to where we were uh, in 2016 needing to get Michigan Pennsylvania and Wisconsin what's your take on things uh, so far Uh Uh, we're having trouble hearing you there Rose uh, maybe uh, if you unplug the the earbuds. Yeah, unplug the earbuds should be a lot better. Yeah, there we go. Are you there? Is that good? Perfect. Oh, God, sounds one hundred percent. All right, yeah. has gone on too many calls, but uh, sorry about that. Yes, according to what I have been looking at, and I have everything open pretty much. We're looking at uh, CNN and ABC and AP, and the phone's going off like crazy. But um, as you very well might know, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and Michigan 
are slow counts. So um, similarly, we have been trying to educate everybody about for a really long time. We most likely are not going to know who the next president of the United States is going to be anytime tonight. So um, patience, patience is necessary, but I'm hoping that we've um, coached everybody enough to relax. I think even the uh, incumbent has uh, backed off a little bit as far as saying that uh, he was going to declare victory early. So I think we just have to be cool as a cucumber right now, Ben. Yeah, well, I was ready to the early results from North Carolina had Biden uh, up. So I was ready to pull a Trump and just declare it a Biden state already. Let's not count any more votes, uh, you know, just like Donald Trump would do. Yeah, yeah. But uh, <laughs> we just don't know. We just don't know for sure. And I had a sense that uh, Florida might go our way. So that shows you how my instincts are. Um, are faring these days so it does not look like florida is going to happen so what i have here is that um the thing is with these pennsylvania wisconsin michigan um they have republican legislatures so right now they have very antiquated systems and we have what we have so i think we just again we just have to take a friend of mine is doing yoga right now so we just <laughs> And um, yeah. I have from where I'm looking at Wednesday, I come in, um, I'm sorry, Wisconsin might come in early Wednesday. Early Wednesday? Good God. Um, if Biden flips must win states for Trump, uh, Florida's out of the contention. But like you said, North Carolina, um, same would hold true if he scores surprising wins in some of his uh, reach states like Georgia, Ohio, or Texas. So I've been trying Whoops. to keep track of uh, all the maps, but things are, are flipping quickly, it looks like. Well, we'll be uh, uh, going through the map uh, in a little while with David Ferris. Texas is huge. If he take, he flips Texas, he has the 38. That's 38 electoral votes right there. That uh, gives him the election. So Texas is absolutely huge. I, I never put... I don't know. Maybe I'm just too pessimistic. I never thought he was going to get uh, Texas. Uh, I just thought that was a reach. I thought the demographic changes that are, uh, have to occur in Texas are like four years off, Rose, if you follow me. Like, I always tease that um, uh, hipsters from California should move to Texas right now. It's There's really no difference if you live in Austin or if you live in San Francisco. Just move to Texas right now. And uh, actually, that's been happening. I, I, after I made that joke, some demographers came on and go, no, Ben, this is actually uh, going on. Uh, but so that may benefit the Democrats in 2024. Uh, but I'm, I, I, I just don't know if it's going to uh, help them uh, tonight. Talk about what you've done uh, in the big two states. I know Wisconsin and Michigan, you've been very active in. Let's start with Wisconsin. What, uh, what's your sense of how the Democrats are better this time around than they were in 2016? I think we played a really great ground game, and by um, we most definitely giving a lot of credit to Wisconsin Democrats and um, Ben Wickler. I think um, the the party there needed a little bit of a, a jump start, like perhaps in uh, other parts of the country. And um, essentially, what happened? We were out there canvassing. You know, now is a time, at least a little bit, for reflection. 
and um, we were going back and forth indivisibles and we were canvassing so in wisconsin we canvassed in um 2018 we thought we could get a couple of people and um, i was just looking through some pictures we had 40 people in wisconsin in um 2018 august so i think we knew then that we had to start early and then once the pandemic hit in um, March, it seems like eons ago, we uh, switched to a, a phone bank strategy. And I know that uh, a lot of different groups of Indivisible have made tons of calls. And um, uh, a woman by the name of Heba Mohammed, she actually was hired by Wisconsin Democrats to be the out-of-state coordinator because there were so many of us from Illinois that wanted to help. And um, I think most definitely it made a difference. The um, issue though, just trying to look a little bit forward now is that we have to keep up that momentum. I think my opinion, Democrats uh, were real active around the time of the um, elections, but uh, the smart organizers that I talked to from Wisconsin Dems said the Republicans are there year round. So um, we need to get to know our constituents and we can't just, uh, drop in and drop out. And that, um, of course, is for um, all the demographics. And we certainly could do a better job with the uh, underserved communities as well. So a long-winded answer to your question, but uh, started with canvassing, moved on to phone banking. I think we were agile enough, I hope and pray, to um, get the job done in Wisconsin. I wasn't quite as active in Michigan as some of my colleagues in Indivisible, but I know that they have made hundreds of thousands of yeah. Michigan. And actually I'm aware of um, Indivisible folks that uh, went ahead and actually did the door-to-door, uh, the, -door, the uh, canvassing with I'm sure all appropriate social distancing and masks. So um, I do believe and have heard that the Republicans have been canvassing all along, but um, I do know that uh, we were out in uh, Michigan. I don't believe, check me on this, I don't believe the um, Wisconsin Democrats had an active canvassing program in, um, in Wisconsin. In 2016, oh no. Since the pandemic um, hit. Oh, I see, so yeah. Mm -hmm. Curtails. Yeah, uh, you're doing a phenomenal job with um with the tools they have in the toolbox. Th this morning when I called you and checked in with you, you were making phone calls. I think it was to Pennsylvania. Wasn't it Pennsylvania that you were on the phone with? I thought it was that you were on the phone with Pennsylvania. Uh, so you, all day you've been making phone calls. What's the response? What are voters telling you uh, in terms of where they're heading? Yeah, just real quick what we're up to. So most definitely since uh, the last couple of years, we've been concentrating on Michigan. Michigan and Wisconsin because they were close and we thought we could canvas. But um, as we've gotten closer and closer to today, we started to reach out to um, a lot of the POTUS swing states as well as the key Senate states. So um, we have called, uh, yeah, you caught me this morning talking to Pennsylvania. We've talked to Florida, South Carolina. I called into Alabama. So um, we've been calling quite a few of the states and um, Pennsylvania, I, I have to say they were a little friendlier this time around than uh, last time. I can imagine how um, sick and tired they are <laughs> of uh, all of these phone calls. But um, I, I've got to tell you, one sad call, I uh, called a woman and, um, you know, people are so raw right now. Their emotions are so raw. And she said, you people, you keep calling me. And um, the, the gentleman that I was trying to reach, she said he's in the hospital dying, dying of COVID. So that was startling. Uh -huh drinking and um, you just feel for the devastation that uh, people are going through right now. I spoke to um, 
a Democrat that said she was going to vote for Trump. So go figure. I spoke um, to a gentleman um, that said he's going to vote for the guy that's going to build the wall. So I kind of have an assumption of who that's going to be. um, I've got to say, though, um, on a more positive note for me, at least, I spoke to some really fierce uh, African-American women. And um, I am going to continue thinking about them until we get, uh, and even after we get results, because they are on it. Um, talk to three of these really powerful African-American women. Uh, one woman is a committee person and um, the other woman, um, 75, she sounded like she was 35. She has told her children, her grandchildren, um, God forbid if they don't vote the way that she wants them to um, vote. And all of these women, you can just imagine one of the women was telling me that she's been through this. I spoke to a woman that was 82 and she's been through this and they've fought these fights before and she can't believe that she has to do it again. But, um, you know, here we are. So, yeah, I, I just hope that, uh, you know, we get the results that uh, that we want. Now, uh, when you t- you uh, study the way the results uh, are coming in from these states, uh, what's your sense of uh, how long we'll know uh, about Pens- before Pennsylvania is final? You and I talked a lot about this, Rose, uh, that Democrats are very concerned that Donald Trump will pull a fast one. Uh, and if he has a sense that he's winning early, uh, try to push for an end to the vote. I'm a little skeptical that he could uh, pull that off and actually succeed at that. In fact, he may, for his own purposes, have to flip his rhetoric on that. But how does Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Michigan work uh, in terms of when the vote comes in and uh, how soon before we have can declare someone a victor? Yeah, so um, let me start with Pennsylvania, and um, the explanation starts with a slow going. So that kind of uh, encapsulates everything for you. So in Pennsylvania, we're expecting absentee about uh, 50%. They did begin processing at uh, 7 a.m., so everybody, it's so confusing because all the different states have different rules and regulations, but uh, they did start processing, not counting. There's an important distinction there at uh, 7 a.m. this morning. Um, They're telling me not enough time for the county to finish today, and um, some places won't try until today is over, so that's some counties, perhaps I might say Republican counties, so they might not start until tomorrow morning. Um, Let's see what else. Most mail-in ballots, let's see, um, excuse me, election officials say majority will be counted by Friday. So that's incredibly uh, hopeful for getting um, immediate results. And um, also don't rule out waiting until later. And here, this might really throw you, we'll know by November 23rd, <laughs> the counties to stop counting. So this isn't my analysis. This is the very esteemed 538. And um, November 23rd, that's Pennsylvania? Well, before Thanksgiving, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> and one last thing uh, I share, and I think this is common, um, election day results will probably skew Republican. No big surprise there. And um, that will be election night results. Absentee ballots will be blue. Yeah. So, um, There's West- the fight right there, Rose. Yeah, yeah. And then Wisconsin, I have some info in Michigan, too, if you're... All right. Yeah. Uh, before we get to them, I'm just going to re- uh, zero in. I know what we'll be talking about this show for the next two weeks. I know how this show works. Uh, that's the fight right there that you just uh, laid out. The efforts by the Republicans will be absolutely attempting to sabotage uh, that vote count in Pennsylvania any way they can, because their sense is they'll be 
at uh, when, like when the TV cameras turn off tonight, they'll be ahead. That's what you're, what's, that was my takeaway from what you just said. So we really even shouldn't put too much stock in the early results from Pennsylvania. Is that what you're saying, Rose? Most definitely. And I think that's a common thread through um, all of these key states, Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania. I mean, I was just thinking some of the folks I spoke with uh, in Pennsylvania, um, I know in, in Wisconsin, it's tough because they have to get a witness and everything. But in Pennsylvania, they had the secrecy sleeve. Did you hear about that? So there were two envelopes. So you had to take the, um, the ballot and you had to stuff that into another envelope. So um, a lot of these rules, I think, are really voter suppression and just uh, made to confuse the heck out of people. Yeah, so yeah I know. That's how the results are going to come in. It's just going to make it a little tricky. And have to get a witness. Explain that one again. That's in the Wisconsin. Yes, I do know. I've got to say, so um, I know Illinois law well. I'm not an attorney, but uh, I've been an Illinois person for Indivisible for a while. And then I was on the hotline in Wisconsin, so I got to know um, Wisconsin law well. So with um, Wisconsin, they have to have a witness signature. And I don't know if you remember back in April, you and I were speaking then, Ben, but uh, it went from the Wisconsin Supreme Court to the U.S. Supreme Court. It was like, oh, boy, howdy, back and forth. But um, yes, uh, it has not changed. So despite COVID-19, you had uh, senior citizens, you had uh, people with disabilities needing to get a um, witness signature. I think um, versus how things were done in the spring, they did allow some uh, virtual witnessing, which was different than, um, than the spring, but uh, still really a hardship. Uh, again, voter suppression, especially for a state like Wisconsin that used to be blue to have to get uh, witness signatures, kind of ridiculous. Yeah, no, I, that was amazing. We had someone, uh, who is it, uh, I forget, from uh, Wisconsin was on the show and she was explaining the bizarre nature and like people had to look in through the window uh, to witness because they couldn't be in the same room. Uh, some really strange, peculiar laws when it comes to uh, voting by mail, voting absentee. Uh, you're right. And it does contribute to an overall suppression. Although I am still optimistic about Wisconsin. I'm just going to tell you this right now, Rose. I'm optimistic about Wisconsin. I don't know when these votes will be counted. So I, I, I'm not certain I will proclaim Wisconsin uh, will move from uh, uh, Trump to Biden. But I'm still optimistic about him. Talk about Michigan. This is a state, a freaky state. Uh, uh, with a, pro- a prominent militia movement, underground militia movement, not that underground anymore. I mean, they, they threatened to kidnap the governor. Uh, so the, M- Michigan is a very volatile state. Uh, talk about the vote counting process in Michigan. Yeah, so what my sources are telling me, and I'm sorry I don't have better news for you, Ben, but uh, it's going to take a few days. The earliest absentee ballots can be processed as um, uh, not enough time to count them all by uh, election night. And uh, the Secretary of State, as you know, is a Democrat. She estimates that uh, it could take until Friday, November the 6th. So we're doing a little better than uh, the 20th in Pennsylvania, but still a little slow going, a little slower than uh, we as uh, Americans are used to. And um, margins will probably shift toward Democrat in the days after the 3rd as, again, same old story, mail votes are added to the results. 
Yeah, margins will shift to the Democrats. These are just the votes that are being counted as uh, the, the, the mail-in votes that are coming in. And you uh, that's where the uh, the game will be played. I was really hoping, Rose, we could avoid this by winning Florida. Okay, you know what I'm saying? Okay, we won Florida. Who cares what Trump says? Well, I don't really care what he says anyway. That's personally me. But I was really hoping to avoid this by winning Florida. Damn you, Florida. I can't come through at all. Uh, yeah, yes, the stress of it, the whole thing. But um, you know what? We've got uh, Mark Elias. I don't know if you know that name, but he's a, uh, a hero, Democratic attorney. I know there's going to be a lot of GOP attorneys and there's going to be a lot of battles in the courts. I've heard there's tons of uh, lawsuits, I'm sure, across all of the states. But uh, Mark Elias is somebody that I heard of. Um, years ago, and he's been fighting this battle for a really long time. He writes something, I think it's called Democracy Ducket. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think we're going to be okay with uh, with him on our side. But, um, yeah, it's going to be, I think, um, battled out in the courts and with, uh, with the lawyers, unfortunately. And like you said, that's why we were hoping for Florida, because it's not like we haven't had enough of uh, stress already. So... Well, uh, we'll be talking about this, uh, uh, our next guest, uh, David Ferris, will coming in. We'll be breaking down state by state and taking a look at the Senate races and uh, uh, see if he's going to be correct in his prediction uh, that um, the Senate will flip. I haven't taken, I have not been able to look at any of these results, uh, Ro, so I'm looking forward to David Ferris uh, going to state by state with me. Uh, but if you talk about legal battles, see, I'm old enough to remember 2000. And in 2000, the Democrats basically, this is, I'm not sure if you were following things back then, Rose, but in Florida, just threw up their, in my opinion, threw up their hands. They they didn't fight uh, as uh, determined, with as much determination as Republicans. They weren't as strategic as the Republicans. They didn't combine legal fights with on-the-ground fights. They kind of just were passive. That was the Al Gore. It was very passive. Uh, And you've been telling this for a while that, then 2020, it'll be different. Uh, they'll be more vociferous uh, and more combative. It, it's, it looks like these three states, there's going to be litigation, Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Wisconsin. That's what you, you've been saying. You're a little encouraged about that, uh, that change from t- 2000. Yeah, I think we're geared up. I think, um, you know, we were caught off guard perhaps in 2000. I personally think that uh, Gore should have stuck it out a little longer Um, I'm hoping it doesn't go to the U.S. uh, Supreme Court with our new justice, but um, I think we're I think we're more battle prepared at this point. I think um, I'm hoping maybe I'm just uh, too optimistic, but I'm hoping we learn lessons from from 2000 and I can name some other shenanigans uh, as well. All right. Now, uh, it's been a lot of gloom and doom so far because we talked about how disappointed I was anyway in Florida. But a little, let's close uh, this segment, Rose, with a little good news. All right. I just uh, got uh, saw this flash across my phone. The, the Democrats won the Senate seat in Colorado. Was, they were expected to win it. John Hickenlooper. God, it seems like 50,000 years ago. He was on the debate stage. He was one of the presidents. Remember that? Uh, and he. he he defeated Cory Gardner, so uh, one down. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was to be expected, but we've got to celebrate everything, Ben. We've got to, we've got to celebrate it. All right, I'm going to start drinking some alcohol pretty soon. I'm celebrating. I'm going to celebrate. I'm doing margaritas myself, Ben. All right. Margaritas for tonight. Uh, 
All right, Rose. So I'm going to close this segment with you making a bold prediction of Democratic success in the big three. I don't, I, come on. I want to hear you say it now. Michigan, Wisconsin, uh, <laughs> and Pennsylvania. I want to hear that's the big three. It looks like it's coming out of those three. You know, the, the old, the, the Democratic wall there. It's, it's not going to crumble, right, Rose? Tell me that. Yeah, I've got to say um, I'm probably less sure about Pennsylvania, but um, maybe it's since we've been fighting so long in Wisconsin and uh, Michigan, but um, I think we have it. All right. So, okay, you're less, you're, you're, you say you're less certain about Pennsylvania, did you say? I am. I All am. right, well, I'm, I'm going to do some math for you. Let's, let's yeah. say we lose Pennsylvania. Let's just say it's we don't get Pennsylvania, okay? this is the, So I take that off my list. You, st- you win Michigan with 16. You win Wisconsin with 10. That's 26. And then Arizona. <laughs> Arizona's the state. You win Arizona, uh, you got 37, and you got to get one of those congressional districts. I'm telling you, Rose. It could be a, a I've got North Carolina. I've got, what do you think, Ben? I've got well, on my, my list. Now North that Carolina is, is on my list. Um, it's on my list, too. It's got 15 electoral votes. The last I looked, it was too close to call. Biden is up by a sliver, but there's uh, there's still 16% of the vote uh, left to go in that state. And uh, so, you know, I just don't know where the votes are. Uh, you, you know this as well as I do, Rose. It's where the votes are coming from. Uh, that's what matters. Uh, so, yeah, I, you put North Carolina in that mix. And, uh, well, North Carolina, you could, uh, that that substitutes for Pennsylvania almost. So, yeah, I've been playing with these numbers for about four years, Rose, since the Democrats lost in 2016. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, all right, Rose, I want to thank you very much for coming on the show. And I really want to thank you uh, for just doing all the work you did. Uh, I really appreciate all the work that the, the folks from Indivisible did from the get-go with Resistance. And, you know, I just hope, I don't, I don't want to strike the fatalistic note right now, but I hope the reaction people have is not to just go into hibernation and quit, you know, if, if it doesn't turn out the way they want. I. I don't know what to say. The civil rights movement was how many years in the process? Do you know what I'm saying? It's just sometimes things uh, don't work out. I'm not throwing in the flag on this, uh, the towel on this election. I'm just saying um, that I hope people don't uh, get disenchanted and discouraged uh, from. If if I could, I just want to end, uh, try to end on uh, even more of a positive note. And um, Charlie Cook, he's uh, revered and um, actually quite conservative as far as not being overly optimistic. And um, I spoke to you earlier about this, but uh, he's saying that uh, in the House we'll pick up uh, 10 seats. And he's saying that the Democrats will um, take retake the, um, the Senate. And so I think there is um, there's some promise there. And I think that we do have to be strategic. Then we have to um, start thinking about the Voting Rights Act and we have to start thinking about gerrymandering and we have to start thinking about um, U.S. House of Representatives um, turning the uh, Republican legislatures to uh, Democrat. All right. That's a good agenda going forward. David Ferris has joined us and we're going to bring him on. We'll take a little break and we'll bring him on. Thank you very much, Rose. Keep up the good work. All right. Uh, David Ferris is on deck. We'll bring him on right after this.
Sean Kasten, a scientist who built a successful company that used technology to clean up pollution, putting businesses to work fighting climate change. Sean pledged to keep people informed, holding more than 40 town hall meetings across the district. Families have been through a lot this year, and it's far from over. The way forward is to follow the science to control this pandemic and get our economy back on its feet. I'm Sean Kasten, and, and we approve this message. Springfield politicians, they promise they won't tax retirement income if their constitutional amendment passes, but their measure lets them increase income taxes on every group of taxpayers, including retirees. Even our state treasurer said so publicly. The truth is, nothing in the constitutional amendment protects retirement income from being taxed. So we could trust the politicians to be fair to taxpayers or vote no. Hey, that break's over. Welcome back to Election Night with the Ben Jarofsky Show. Take it away, Benny J. All right, the Phyllis commercial. It's ready, Phyllis commercial. If I hear it one more time, I'll lose my mind. Come on, Phyllis! Stop reading that lie that they fed you. They just wrote some script. They just made something up. Not a fair tax. A raised tax rates on retirement. It says nothing about retirement. And it looks like here, uh, the latest update on that, with 22% reporting, uh, the fair tax, no, at 56.7%. Yes, at 43.3%. Yeah. Wow, it's not even getting more than 50%. All right, David Ferris, I'll put that fair tax news to the side. I don't know where those votes are coming from, so maybe those are downstate right. votes. Uh, what have you. Maybe there's good news ahead of us. David Ferris, uh, Roosevelt University, a frequent guest on this show, has been uh, advocating the Democrats to be more aggressive, stop being so passive, stop laying down and let the Republicans walk all over them, uh, and boldly predicting that this would be the year the Democrats defeat Donald Trump. Here we are about two hours into the vote counting. David, are you still feeling optimistic? I still think that Biden is going to pull this out. I think, um, you know, the results that we have so far suggest that it's not going to be kind of the night that we hoped it was going to be. Um, that is a, a big resounding, you know, electoral college sweep and huge pickups in the Senate. And, uh, you know, we can all go to bed happy by midnight. <laughs> <laughs> and that's not happening. So um, I don't know what to tell you. I'm not a pollster, but uh, certainly the polls in the Southeast look like they were, they were, uh, they were not super great. Um, I think what's giving me some, some hope that Biden will pull this out is that um, he is running close with Trump in Ohio. I don't think he's going to win Ohio, but that means um, hopefully that there's been a kind of a uniform shift, shift across the upper Midwest um, and that we can at least sort of take the white house with Michigan, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania. Um, that's, that's the way it looks to me right now. But, um, you know, I think a lot of what I said on the show over the weekend didn't really pan out. So um, I don't want to give everybody fi- like false confidence here either. Um, All right. Well, we're just going to burn that interview right now and we're going to redo it. Uh, I actually can't recall uh, whether you predicted Florida would go. I just cannot remember whether you predicted Florida would go for Biden. I did. Um, yeah. Um, and what, what looks to have happened in Florida is that. Um, just the margins with Cuban Americans, particularly in Miami Dade, um, were just too much for for Biden to overcome in other parts of the state, um, where he has made gains with with senior citizens and um, and college educated whites. But um, there was a there looks to have been we don't know yet, but the votes are not all counted. But there looks to have been an enormous shift um, away from Clinton and towards 
Trump um, among uh, among Cuban Americans in Miami Dade, but also um, we're seeing shifts against Democrats among Latinos overall, at least in Florida, North Carolina, and Georgia. Um, and if that holds up in Texas and Arizona, um, it's not clear that Biden will win. Uh, I, I don't think he's going to win Texas, but um, it's not clear that he'll win Arizona if those shifts among uh, Latino voters are, are uniform across the country. And uh, yeah, that definitely makes me glad I voted for Bernie in Illinois. <laughs> I think that Bernie would be doing much, much better with Latinos. This is a, this is a much worse situation with that sub that, that demographic than, than I think we were expecting. All right, let's, let's break it down a little bit before we go uh, take a look at the Senate races and also go to the Midwest. Let's just break it down in Florida and talk about the Latino vote. Again, a Cuban-American vote has always been a conservative vote. I was talking about this earlier. Uh, many of the, uh, or, um, the Castro's Cuba, uh, very virulently anti-communist and i realize that that first generation is older and it's now a second generation who was born in this country but still there's patterns uh that repeat themselves and people are inheriting the politics uh, of their parents their stories about the communist tyranny I, i'm what you're saying i have not seen the uh the elections are you telling me that like puerto rican voters in florida have also gone uh, for Donald Trump, that would surprise me. Uh, not no, so much looks, the Cuban. It looks like Biden has won Puerto Rican voters pretty pretty decisively, just from what we're seeing so far. Um, but I think, sorry, I'm, I'm like scrolling these websites for results, and they're making sound on my computer. Um, <laughs> uh, so he's yeah, he seems to have done great with Puerto Rican voters. Um, but uh, you know, I mean, Trump is just showing surprising strength. I think with Latino voters across the board. Um, and that's, you know, when we post more than this, uh, again, it's very early, Ben, um, and we, we still mm-hmm. don't really know exactly what's happening. But if um, if the trends that we're seeing in the Southeast hold up, I think that there's going to be a lot of talk about, you know, polling errors, particularly with, with Latino voters, um, which could be could could have pretty enormous consequences for, for what we thought was going to happen versus what will actually happen here. Uh, before we leave this the- uh, this theme, you think Bernie would have done better? This is something I've been asking, talking to other, uh, other people. Would a, a, just an out-and-out leftist candidate uh, have done better, in your opinion, in Florida than the centrist? I mean, not in Florida, no. I mean, Biden's problem in Florida is, is the Cubans, and I don't think it's really about Biden. I think it's about Trump, and Trump sort of snapped back the um, the the hostility towards towards the Cuban government. And that seems to have won Cuban American voters back to him. Um, if anything, I, I think that Bernie could have done worse in Florida. Um, yeah. just, just given the way that they would have just Castroized him, <laughs> you know, from, from, from March to, to election day. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but, you know, he, Bernie had some unique voters, but, voters, I think. Um, but I think, you know, I, uh, who supported Bernie could point to these results and say like, Hey, <laughs> <laughs> much worse could it really have been, you know? Um, so uh, that's, that's, that's a plausible, uh, that's a plausible thought there. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm not convinced uh, as much in this campaign as I was in 2016, that Bernie would have done uh, much better because so much about this campaign was just anti-Trump. You know what I mean? And we talked about that. I th- and I thought he he's proved to be at least in Florida. And again, it's, uh, that was one state that I was really hoping that Biden would win. He's proved to be far more resilient than I gave him credit for, you know what I'm saying, with the voters. And he, uh, yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I, I think, um, 
you know, there's been some, there's obviously been some pulling error here again. Um, and so, uh, you know, I don't know that we're in sort of like the industry is dead territory, <laughs> but, uh, um, certainly there's going to have to be a hard look at some of the, the numbers that particularly that came out of Florida and Georgia and North Carolina, which, which all showed Biden with, um, you know, modest, but, but real leads heading into election day. And, um, you know, when you have that kind of systematic error across multiple States that are kind of similar to one another, um, you know, you, you got to go and take a look and say, well, what, what happened here? Um, the thing that's, that's most worrying to me about, um, about the results so far is, um, it's not clear that that Cal Cunningham is going to win in North Carolina, uh, who's the Democratic Senate candidate there against the incumbent Tom Tillis, and that that makes the math to get the Democratic Senate just just pretty tough. All right, let's shift to the Senate and talk about that a little bit. Let's start with a little good news. Uh, you said it was absolutely certain uh, that Hickenlooper would win in Colorado. And I think they just, as soon as the polls closed, they announced that he had one. Uh, so take a victory lap there. Uh, yeah. That's that's one down. Uh, the Democrats essentially needed to win uh, five to take uh, control of the Senate. Uh, and I, it's 53 47 now, but I'm just assuming uh, that Doug Jones is going to lose in Alabama that we didn't, we gave that to the Republicans automatically. Has that, has that race come in yet? Do you know? Um, so the Graham race, the, is that the, no, the Doug Jones and, um, oh, yeah, yeah, no, so that's, yeah, that's already been called. <laughs> okay. Yeah. We knew that was coming. So they need to win five. So this gets them down to four. Uh, and you were, what was the other race that you said just came in? That was, uh, any uh, other races that were on your list that have come in yet? Sure. So they haven't, the only one that's been, the only two that have been called that were competitive are, are Hickenlooper in Colorado. And then Lindsey Graham appears to have won in South Carolina. Um, Everything else is at the moment too close to call, and that includes North Carolina, that includes Georgia, um, and, uh, and and even Maine right now because the Maine results are very very early. Um, so we we still don't really know what's going to happen in these places. I think there's some level of confusion between the different forecasting models right now. Like the New York Times is very bearish, I think, on some of these races for Democrats. Um, or if you go over to Fox News, like weirdly, <laughs> they, they have a different take on those things. Um, and um, so we, we needed to net three seats to take over the Senate. Um, and so you have, but you got to price in the Doug Jones lost in, in Alabama. So we need to pick up four. Um, so Hickenlooper is one. Um, and we need three more. And, and the um, uh, Cal Cunningham in North Carolina was, was pretty critical to that, to that math in my mind, at least in, in, a, in a world where um, the election is, is, looks to be a bit closer than we thought it was going to be nationally um, that that could put some of these reach seats out of uh, you know, out of play for Democrats, like um, not just South Carolina, but you know, Montana and, and Iowa and things like that. Um, if, if, uh, if Biden is underperforming his polling nationally by, I, I don't know, we, again, we, we really don't know. This was very early election night, but if Biden is underperforming his polling by three or four points, um, I think that makes it very difficult for, for Democrats to take back the Senate. So, um, again, I remain hopeful that Biden will win the election, um, just, just via the Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Michigan path. Um, but, uh, but again, I think there's a lot of, uh, there's reasons to be disappointed here. Um, and, uh, if this is what happens, if Biden wins a narrow electoral college victory and we don't take back the Senate, I think there's gonna be a lot of soul searching, um, among Democrats for like, you know, how could we, how could it be this close, um, given just given what's happening in this country right now, 
the president has no plan for anything. <laughs> um, and uh, uh, there's like a raging pandemic that that's killed 240,000 people. Um, and the president doesn't care. Uh, I, I just think that, you know, um, we just have some, I, we have some very difficult questions to ask ourselves, I think both as a party and, and as a country, if, if, uh, if things are indeed headed to, to where they seem to be right now. Well, part of it, uh, Part of it, when I just listen to your uh, your analysis of the early stages, it, when there's an error in polling, that influences a campaign. Do you follow what I'm saying? So if yeah. if uh, all along my centrist friends were telling me Joe Biden is the exact person we need right now uh, running his camp uh, running for president against Trump. Uh, a lefty is not the person that we need. Uh, and this is, look at the polls. The polls are showing this. So many of my centrist friends told me this. If there's a flaw in polling, do, do you follow what I'm saying, David? Then uh, then the Democrats have like bigger problems. Um, <laughs> you, you know what I'm saying? Like you're, you're essentially it's a marketing campaign. So you're marketing your candidates uh according to what your pollsters are telling you is the popular strategy to follow. And if the polls are off, then you're doing a, you're not going to win. You're just going to, uh, uh, tread water. Uh, I mean, I think, you know, I, I, I do want to say again, it's, it's, it's early and it's too early to draw conclusions. I think other than, other than Trump has won Florida. Um, and I think that Trump has won Georgia. Um, I think that there's still some uncertainty out here about what exactly is happening. But um, if, if sort of what we're, um, what we're looking at is right, it looks like the, it looks like Biden has traded a substantial amount of Latino support um, for some of these white voters in the upper Midwest. And that may be a trade that gets him the white house. Um, but it does not so far look like a trade that it's going to get Democrats, the Senate. Um, and it certainly is not a trade that, um, that is going to put like a sort of decisive end to the um, to the Trump era in the way that we were hoping it would. Now, I will say, as as we're looking at this, um, even just since we started talking, Ben, um, the the Arizona numbers are coming in and they look very good for Democrats. Um, so Biden is up nine in Arizona with seventy three percent counted. I don't I, I don't know how Trump would come back from that. And Mark Kelly, the Senate candidate there, who's um, challenging Martha McSally, looks like he's up big too. Um, so if those Arizona numbers hold, uh, it's, it's very difficult, I think, to see Trump winning the White House again without Arizona. Um, and so that, um, you know, if you're <laughs> if the only thing that did that matter tonight was was getting rid of Trump, <clears throat> I still think that looks pretty good. Yeah. Uh, but, um, you know, certainly, uh, you know, I'm not going to lie to your to you or your listeners. I'm, I'm fairly disappointed with how this has gone so far. Um, but um but it's not. But it's not over yet. So yeah. No. I. I uh, and by the way, uh, there's. Uh, we've had this conversation on the show, not with you, but with other guests. Um, uh, Joshua uh, Smizer, uh, De Leon, uh, Adolfo Mondragon. Uh, we've talked about the different types, like Latino. There's no such thing as a Latino uh, monolith. There's really no monolith of, of any group, literally. I mean, you know what I'm saying? But with Latinos, there's so many different, they come from so many different countries, so many different backgrounds, so many different experiences. The geographical uh, difference, like Florida is far different than Arizona or Nevada or Texas. So you, you're California. So when I was going to make this point when you were talking about Florida uh, voters, I'm not certain they translate into a, a voting 
uh, situation in Arizona. And those numbers, which I hadn't seen, uh, are, are proving the, that point. Do you follow me, David? So, oh, no, uh, absolutely. yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, this is this is very clear, right? Like you, I, this, I think that the Biden will win Latino voters, you know, by overwhelming majorities in California. The real question is whether even even in a, in a decisive win like that with those voters, whether the margins are somewhat eroded from Clinton, um, which would su- suggest either, you know, a, a failure of outreach um, or, you know, just as plausible. Um, it's just really hard for me to wrap my brain around, but that, but the Trump has some appeal, um, to a, to a larger subset of, um, of Latino voters than, than, uh, than we thought. And that was certainly true in 2016, I think. And it may be even more so now. Um, I could freebase some, some explanations for you for that. <laughs> Go ahead. Freebase away, baby. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, I, I think, um, I think that there's elevated rates of small business ownership in, in Latino communities and small businesses have been hit particularly hard by the pandemic. And maybe people are putting the blame on, on the, you know, on the lockdowns and the restrictions rather than on, on the president. Um, that's, uh, that's certainly a, a plausible outcome to me. I, I wouldn't be surprised by it. Um, and, um, you know, um, that's, you know, that's one thing. Um, I think another is just, uh, the nature of the top of the ticket for the Democrats just maybe didn't, you know, didn't thrill Latino voters. Um, and, um, you know, maybe I, I don't know, I don't have the data, but maybe Biden didn't run enough ads. Um, maybe he didn't spend enough time in these places. Maybe he didn't have the right people doing the outreach. Um, but, the, but the reality is this is, uh, you know, this is something Democrats are going to have to deal with. Um, I think, uh, Republicans making significant inroads with Latino voters is uh, is sort of a democratic nightmare scenario yeah. <laughs> that they're going to have to deal with in, in the years to come, whatever happens tonight. Yeah. Um, that that's a, that's a piece of the coalition they're going to have to try a lot harder to to shore up. Um, and it, you just run into this catch twenty two um, where we're sort of leaning into the the you know the so called new democratic coalition with with Latinos and and young folks and and other other minority groups kind of runs headlong into uh, your problems in the upper Midwest where you need to spend more time appealing to white voters. And so it could be, it's like, you know, it's like six of one and half dozen of the other. It's like Biden might win the presidency with that strategy, um, but, but see himself unable to enlarge the coalition and unable to, to make a breakthrough in the Senate that would allow him to govern um, in, in the way that, you know, um, that I've been hoping that a Democrat would be able to govern after 2020. So, um, we'll just have to wait and see, you know, it's not, um, it's not over yet. We still got Iowa out. We still got Montana out. Um, the Senate race, a lot of Senate races are not decided yet. Um, there's some, there's some dispute between the forecasters right now on Twitter. I don't know if you're following them, <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's just, um, I think everybody, everybody knew that, that the way that ballots were being counted and tabulated tonight, um, was going to cause some unique problems in terms of our ability to know what's happening around this time of the night. And that, that has definitely come true. Um, you know, again, if, if Biden had won Florida or Texas or, or even Georgia, um, you know, we, we could all just go to bed right now and just say, figure it all out. No, I'd be, uh, uh, no, I, I was, look, I wanted Florida because I could start, uh, the celebration right now. Okay. So that didn't happen. So now we're right back where, where I, have since we were since this same night, 2016, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, 
Pennsylvania uh, and Michigan. Uh, now you tell me Arizona. Uh, I do think that's an insurmountable lead. I take that 11. So it was 38 electoral votes had a flip. You take those 11 away. You're down to 27. Okay. Yeah. And uh, so this is, this is great. We're going to take this. Uh, we're going to drop this as a podcast and this interview with a, just a, a slightly disappointed uh, David Ferris will be a, like an artifact of where we were at a precise moment, a very precise moment in time, yeah. 9.21 p.m., okay? It would totally, totally be a different David Ferris had Florida gone to Joey Biden. Uh, oh, yeah. I'd be in party mode right now, man. I'd be, you know, I'd be like opening the champagne. Because <laughs> it would be over and, and we would know it. Um, but uh, I remember, you know, you remember back in 2018, um, early on election night, things looked considerably worse yes. for than we had thought that they were going to be. Yes. Um, and then, and then as more votes were, were tallied and, and more states came in and more house races were called in, in different parts of the country, um, it looked a lot better. You know, I mean, the Senate picture never got better in 2018. It's not clear that the Senate picture is going to get any better um, uh, in this election either. Um, but, you know, even without the Senate, um, just getting rid of this dude would just be like a, just a huge psychological relief for me. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of people um, it's, you know, it's, it's relatively more important than, than capturing the trifecta. Um, I, you know, obviously if Biden wins the presidency and not the Senate, then we're, we're in for, you know, two more years of, of paralysis, but at least it's not malevolent paralysis, right? It's uh, it's just, it's like the late Obama years. Um, and so that that's uh, certainly preferable to me. Although I, I think that we, at some point, um, you know, policy just needs to get made in one direction or the other so people can really see who's, who's doing what and whether it works. And, and we need to try out some of these ideas that we have. Um, but uh, based on the results tonight, it, it just looks like it's going to have to wait a couple of years. But, uh, you, you mentioned that there's a dispute on Twitter regarding projections. It's just the kind of geeky, nerdy thing that I would love to uh, talk about. What, what is the exact nature of that dispute? So if you go over to um, Fox News, um, their needles are still showing, um, uh, you know, Democrats winning in, in North Carolina and Democrats having a chance in Georgia. Um, and that's just not what the New York Times is showing. And it's not clear whether the Fox News needles are just dumb. <laughs> <laughs> the needles exhausted. <laughs> they're like, whatever, we, we got it all wrong. In <laughs> um, it's not clear to me whether the needle is just like looking at the current results and extrapolating from them um, and not really thinking very hard about what what kind of votes are left and what, what different kind of places. Um, and the New York Times, you know, Nate Cohn, you know, our friend Nate Cohn. <laughs> oh, don't even get me started about that guy. Yeah, yeah go ahead. Nate Cohn is like very certain, you know, that uh, that the outstanding votes in, in North Carolina are going to deliver that place to Trump and um, that there's there's just no way that Democrats can get over the top in Georgia. So those those are those are the two sort of main disagreements right now. I think that Trump has now taken the lead in, in Ohio, um, just uh, in, in the aggregate vote count. But um, you know, we'll, we'll we'll just have to see. You know, it's just we were warned this would happen. Um, uh, but places that count their early votes and their mail ballots quickly, the Democrats would jump out to a big lead, and then it would be eroded. Um, and that's definitely what's happened in Ohio and, and Florida. 
And then and it's the opposite in Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Wisconsin. That's important to keep in mind, too. Yes, that's very important. That's what Rose was just talking about, the guests before you. Uh, she obsessively studied all the <laughs> all the, the tallying uh, schedules in all these states. And so she uh, could deliver, you know, that verdict. And again, I was I am so happy. By the way, I'm doing this tonight. I don't care if two people are listening, David. <laughs> I don't. I don't want to look at those freaking needles. They're so driving crazy. And that Nate Cohen, that guy is so annoying. I've told you this is my like, Nate. I think Nate Cohen like loves irritating liberals. I told you this because the clicks. You know what I'm saying? Know. So, you know, he absolutely does. Um, he does enjoy irritating us. Um, unfortunately for us, like <laughs> he was right. So. Uh, you know, I don't, you know, me a culpa here. I, you know, I'm just, I just work on the polls that I see. Um, and it looked, it looked better heading into tonight than, than what we're seeing here. So, um, you'll be, you'll be singing a different song in two weeks. All right. I'm just telling yeah. you that now the big three have not come in yet. We already got it down to 27. That's I'm, so you're, you're, you're looking, uh, at Florida. I I'm like, I listened to, you know, North Carolina, there's something wrong with the polls and, it's clear uh, it's a state by state problem. It's not so much a national problem because, as you pointed out, they were really right on, uh, very close to pre uh, predicting the outcome uh, in 2016. And I have a feeling they're going to be very close uh, in this election as well. But there's something in these state by state polls. And uh, I, I don't know what it is. It's an undercount of, of voters who actually participate. Uh, is it that uh, voters are lying to the Trump votes? Voters are lying to them. I don't know what it is, but they clearly uh, they it's the same problem that happened in 2016 in these states. Do you have a theory yeah. as to what the problem is? We, we, just, we don't know yet. I mean, I'm, I'm still skeptical of the theory that you know people are systematically lying to pollsters. Um, I think it's more. Um, you know how you think back to 08 and, and 2012 and, and Obama just was able to bring people out who just would not otherwise vote. Um, yeah. There was something spe specific about him that they liked and, and, and uh, had enthusiasm for. And it just kind of looks like there's some subset of, of like white people who are otherwise uninclined to vote who come out for Trump. And uh, it's shocking to me that the pollsters would not have figured that out. <laughs> like, you know, put that into their model or maybe they just can't reach them. Um, and uh, so I think it's more, I think it's more about these white voters. I think there's a little bit of something going on with Latino voters. Um, again, I don't, I don't think it's lying to pollsters, but um, cer certainly that, that could be on the table um, as, as we try to process what's, what's happening tonight. All right. Uh, and uh, let's just take a look at uh, some more of these Senate uh, races. Uh, it's Maine. Uh, I have not seen any results. Susan Collins uh, versus Sarah Gideon. Is there any results uh, coming in from Maine? Yeah, um, no, nothing that we want to make any comments about because Maine's fourteen percent in, and so it's another state where, um, you know, the the I think it's going to it's going to trend Democratic as the night goes on. Um, I think the AP already called Maine for for Biden, um, but uh, a lot of other organizations have not done that yet. And uh, so Collins is up in the in the early vote, but it's you know it's just over ten percent of the ballots counted. Um, and so you're seeing similar stories across the upper Midwest where, um, you know, tr Trump and the Senate candidates are winning in Michigan and Minnesota. Um, well, not, not in Minnesota, sorry, but uh, in Maine and, and Michigan. Um, and we just we just have um, we just don't have a ton of results from um, from Wisconsin yet. And uh, I think the expectation is that things will get considerably more democratic as the night goes on. 
Um, so I still think that I still think that Sarah Gideon is his favorite team and man. Um, I think Jared Peters will win the election in Michigan. Um, I think one of the big questions of the night is Teresa Greenfield in Iowa. Yeah. Who, um, you know, who could who could become that 50th vote uh, in place of uh, Cal Cunningham? Uh, you know, again, it's not looking good for, for Democrats in North Carolina. So, um, if there's a, if there's a surprise in Iowa and Democrats do better there than, than people thought, you know, Greenfield could come along. Even if Biden does win, I, I don't care whether Biden wins Iowa, <laughs> but I do care whether Teresa Greenfield wins uh, her Senate seat in Iowa. So that, that could be a huge, um, difference maker in, in this election. So, um, again, and again, so we have some, you know, we, we have a good sense of what went wrong with polling not what went wrong, but we have a sense the polling went wrong in the Southeast. We don't really have that sense anywhere else in the country right now. Like we really don't know what's going on. Um, if anything, so far the Arizona results look like they might've underestimated Biden. Um, and that, that gives me at least a little bit of hope that, um, maybe things in other parts of the West will be better for Democrats. Like maybe Steve Bullock could win in Montana. Um, uh, so it's, I don't think the Senate is completely lost yet. I just think, um, you know, it's, it's much less likely to, for a takeover than, than when the night started, just, just because of North Carolina alone. <laughs> so, um, wait, North Carolina is not a uh, definitive yet though. Is it, uh, it's, it's, Cunningham. Definitive, um, it's, it's that it's the opposite of the Midwest where the early vote is, is democratic and then everything else that's, that's coming in is going to be Republican leaning. And, um, so nice. right now, uh, Tillis, who's the incumbent Republican has a, a 61,000 vote lead over Cal Cunningham with almost 90% in. So, um, you, you know, again, I, I think there's some confusion out there. Maybe there's some absentee ballots that haven't been counted yet. Maybe there's some provisional ballots that haven't been counted yet, but, but 60,000, that's a lot. <laughs> so, um, there'd have to be a lot of outstanding ballots in democratic leaning areas for me to think that Cunningham still has a shot in that, in that vote, uh, in that election. Um, and so, you know, Teresa Greenfield's up in the early vote in Iowa, um, but, uh, you know, again, we just, we just don't know. I think the, the big outstanding question as, as we're recording this show, um, is whether we're just going to have differential turnout. I mean, differential polling era, um, maybe some that benefits Democrats in other parts of the country and some that benefited Republicans in certain specific parts of the country. If that's the case, I think Democrats Senate hopes are still alive. Um, I think then, then Biden would be the overwhelming favorite at this point to win. Um, but we're just gonna we're just gonna have to wait and see. So uh, I'll be up for another hour and a half, Ben. If you want to, you know. <laughs> yeah. All right. Before before I, I turn you loose, uh, uh, so you, Iowa is still very much uh, in play for the Democrats. This is my list of of uh, Senate seats. Iowa. I, I presume Mississippi is, is is long gone. That was I had this Mike Espy uh, fantasy that Espy would stun the world, but it's not going to happen. Is is that already uh, been uh, ruled for Sydney Hyde uh, Smith? Is that already been handed over to her they have not called that race yet so oh. only 20 percent in but she is up uh 11 and a half points on sp um <laughs> so again I mean, we talk about this, right? like that's a race where i was like look you know the polls show biden up seven or eight you know if, it, if they're wrong and he wins by 10 11 12 then then that's a race that could be within range um that again does not seem to be what happened tonight <laughs> um this looks to be nationally like more like a five or six point race for biden um and that means a lot of these reach senate seats are just are just going to slip away from us um yeah. so sp is a great candidate and a great guy um and we're just gonna you know we have to pick ourselves up and, and try to get him next time in, in mississippi well then um uh the races that could uh, uh flip the senate then are maine 
uh, at the moment. Uh, Georgia, there's two in Georgia. Good God. Uh, two in Georgia. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Alaska, uh, I still have all. <laughs> I am the, the Alaskan center, right? Yeah, they're just waking up in Alaska, then. It's like, you know, so it's really. Uh, 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 but, uh, you know, just, just as we've been talking, I'm, I'm pretty much, you know, I'm, I'm much more bullish on Biden in the last half an hour just based on this Arizona stuff. So, oh, yeah. Um, Come on, uh, man. Arizona bodes well for Texas. Yeah. And uh, it uh, and I don't know what I presume that uh, John uh, Cornyn, that was like a a desperate hope that uh, what MJ uh, uh, Hager. Yeah, she could win. Uh, See, now, man, why did Beto O'Rourke just run for Senate? I I do not under Hickenlooper. Look at him. You remember Hickenlooper on the debate stage? David Ferris. There's a bunch of like people that are running for Senate that like ran for president for three seconds. Um, you know, Hickenlooper and, and Bullock are, are the two big ones. Um, and neither, neither of them got three seconds of traction in, in the presidential race, just because I think they're, they're a little out of step with what the democratic base wants at this point. Um, but I think that they were both good, good Senate candidates. I don't think anybody in Montana could have come closer than whatever uh, Steve Bullock is going to do. And, and Hickenlooper, you know, he's, he's going to blow it out. I mean, Colorado is not a swing state anymore. It's just, these things have changed so much just in the last 12 years. Um, but you remember Colorado was like a, a Republican stronghold for a long time. Yeah. And, and now it's just, you know, now it's just a set it and forget a democratic state. And uh, the reality is we only, we only need to do that to, to one or more, one or, one or two more states. Um, and we have a, just, just a consistent majority in national politics. And so it's something that's a bit disappointing to me tonight is it just doesn't look like it's happening this year. So, but the demographic- as the president says, it is what it is. So uh, the demographic changes have not uh, happened fast enough in Texas. You yeah. and I both say this a million times. <laughs> you flip uh, Texas, yeah. it's over. It's over. We're- it's 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 coming, but uh, but we're not there yet. Uh, yeah, it's coming too slow for uh, Donald Trump and uh, Montana. As you say, it's too early to tell. That was another one, and of course, Michigan is way too early to tell whether that's one the Democrats have to hold. Uh, Gary Peters is running against uh, John James, and uh, yeah, we, as Rose laid out, it's a it's going to be a lo- long time coming before we know what Michigan is. Very bizarre state, Michigan. Yeah, it's, it's 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 an odd one. I do love the uh, I do love the upper coast of the Lake Michigan and Michigan. So yes, yeah, a nice place to visit. Uh, before I let you go, this one question I have to ask you. This is kind of on my mind. Uh, I was listening to an interview with Steve Schmidt. I don't know if I told you this. Uh, who's the head of the Lincoln Project? One of the people uh, who is one of the uh, the mainstays behind the Lincoln Project. It was a podcast he did. He was very confident uh, that the uh, uh, that uh, Biden was going to win. Uh, and he was already talking, like looking about what the Lincoln Project was going to be doing in the future to build on this success of, of uh, Joe Biden's election. And I'm just wondering, uh, uh, David, before uh, I, I let you go and bring on Jacob Kaplan, our next guest, I was just wondering, like, what's your sense of where the Republican Party is going to go uh, after this election? Uh, do you think there's going to be just they're going to further move to the right? Yeah, I mean, I, I think a lot was going to depend on what happens tonight. And, um, you know, I think if Trump really got blown out and he, like, lost Texas, then uh, I think there's a world in which the party would move away from that kind of politics. I think in a, in a narrower loss where Republicans hold the Senate, I think the sort of the Trump faction can say, you know, look, we did better than anybody 
anybody else could have done in the midst of what was happening in this country, which is an enormous disaster. Uh, you know, we, we came close. Um, um, and so I think that the energy in that sense would be um, with people kind of running with Trump's politics, uh, who just aren't Trump. Um, there's also a chance, by the way, you know, that Trump could run again in 2024. So um, he doesn't look super healthy to me. He doesn't sound super healthy to me. Um, but it's that's certainly uh, he, there's only one person that's ever served non-consecutive terms in, in office, and that was Grover Cleveland in the uh, late 1800s. Um, so Trump, you know, I'm sure he'll be casting about for that if he does, in fact, lose. Um, and uh, he, he may he may set his, his eyes on the presidency again. I doubt it. He'd be happier just, uh, you know, being a commentator on, on his own TV network and <laughs> tweeting. Yeah. Uh, but in terms of the, the drift of the Republican Party, I just, it doesn't look like this, this loss is going to be decisive enough for them no. to really consider a, a significant shift away from what they're doing right now. Yeah, I think you're right. All right, uh, David, go back uh, to your evening. Uh, okay, it didn't happen exactly the way you said it uh, was, but the I think the the likelihood of the Democrats winning in Arizona, it's got it down to 27 electoral college votes that they need to flip. Uh, and I've been I've always been confident about Michigan, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin. I don't know why. Maybe I'm deluded. Uh, and so um, it's just the problem is. It's going to be another two weeks, David Ferris, of uh, agonizing and Trump like, calling for votes not to be counted and lawyers in court. You know, that's what we're going to be seeing. You, you know that, don't you? Yeah, no, I mean, it's it, it could get ugly. Um, I think it really depends on the results in Michigan, Pennsylvania and Wisconsin. I think the, if they're decisive, then, then we can we can avoid all that stuff. Um, you know, if we're, we're in less than in 50,000 votes territory, then, then, yeah, that's, that's going to be the case. Um, I think based on the, you know, based on the results in the Midwest so far, I, I don't necessarily think we're going to end up in that nightmare scenario, but, uh, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't rule it out either. So uh, I'm not going to sleep super well tonight. It could be worse. So, um, it could, it could uh, be worse. Yes. Yeah. Think about that. That's a good, uh, philosophy to have. All right, David Ferris. Thank you very much. Go try to get some sleep. I know you're going to be on our show in a couple of weeks. Anyway, to talk about this will be uh, less gloomy because I do believe, uh, a Biden's going to win, uh, Jacob Kaplan, the, um, the brains behind the local cook County democratic party is going to be joining us. We're going to take a little break and talk a little more local results with Jacob Kaplan when we return. did not say, I'm, I have a plan to get a man to the moon, and so we're going to do it, and I think we can all work together, and maybe we can get a man on the moon. John Kennedy said, by the end of this decade, we are going to put a man on the moon. Because John Kennedy was back in the day when politics... I'm Jeannie Ives. Want to know why I'm running for Congress? Walk a mile in my shoes. A journey of service starts with one step. I took my first step in jump boots, serving my country in the Army, just out of West Point. Then I traded my Army boots for athletic shoes, coaching cross-country and raising my kids. But duty called again. I stepped into heels and a new job. And in the State House, I battled corruption wherever I found it, protected taxpayers with every vote, and reached across the aisle to work for you. Now, I'm stepping up for a new fight to save this country from those who would destroy the values that forged our nation and make it strong, to rebuild our economy, and to get our nation working again. 
to build on the promise only America can make and keep. I'm Jeannie Ives. When you need me, I'll always step up. Jeannie Ives for Congress. Now back to election night with the Ben Jarofsky show. Benny J, take it away. Jacob Kaplan, the executive director of the Cook County Democratic Party, is with us. We're going to shift more uh, to local news, although Jacob is perfectly capable of discussing uh, national news. Jake, Jacob, it's uh, just before we get to the local, I got to tell you, I was really hoping uh, that Biden would win Florida. It looks like he's not going to win. I was really hoping he would win it because to me, that would the election would be over. And I'd be like, yeah, yeah, and it's just like a punch to the stomach. You know what I'm saying? It's just all my guests would come out of it like down because they didn't win Florida. Um, before we get to locals, you just sense. Let's follow this theme a little bit. Uh, you follow a lot of elections. Uh, what's your sense about where things are going right now? You know, it's not the night I wanted to have in an ideal world, Ben. Uh, I think, you know, just like you, I was hoping that uh, Florida would come in for Biden and we could I could be asleep already, basically. <laughs> uh, that's not happening. But unlike some other of my friends, I'm not freaking out. I, I've Early on, I saw results happening in rural counties and places even like Indiana and Ohio, where Trump was not getting the margins he was getting in 2016. You know, it was 15 points less than he was getting uh, four years ago. So I kind of I'm already seeing this kind of shift, especially in the Midwest, towards uh, towards Biden. Even if he wasn't winning these places, he was doing better. So I think that bodes well for Michigan, Wisconsin, and uh, you know, in, in Pennsylvania. It you know, Ohio is closer than it was four years ago. Uh, it looks like the Arizona results are are, are trending our way as well. So. I think at the end of the day, uh, Biden's going to win. I hope it's not super razor thin in any of those states. So there's no recount issues or any sort of massive litigation and things were growing, throwing the race into question. But this also is not the same as 2016. You know, in 2016, by this time of night, I was already 15 years in because I knew Biden was done. Or sorry, that Hillary was done. I knew that uh, once not only Florida fell, we saw the results as they were coming in in Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania. We knew it was not a good night for the Democrats. This is not that night. Yeah. So I, I'm still very hopeful. The one thing I'm hoping is that we also win you know, the Senate. I think that's a little more in doubt now. And uh, I'm just worried about what happens if Biden wins and still has to deal with Mitch McConnell in the Senate. Well, the reality is this. The big one is the presidency. And I, I understand. I've had so many guests come on the show. Ben, you need the Senate if you want the judges. It's, I understand all that. I understand politics as well as all you guys do. But the big one was the president. It just sets the tone for everything in this country, uh, where we're going as a country. What's the rhetoric uh, in this country? What's the what's the appeals that we make? You know, what's the 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 right way? Like, what's the protocol of behavior? And Trump trashed everything. And Trump tried to play to our worst fears about each other. And I would have loved to have seen a revolt against that, even from people, Jacob Kaplan, who don't agree ideologically with the Democrats. I would have liked to have seen a revolt uh, against Trump's behavior. That's what I, disappoints me most about Florida and what's going on in North Carolina and Georgia. I haven't seen enough of that, obviously, to topple those three states. It's like people bought into it, and they there's still a very strong uh, segment of the population that enjoys Donald Trump's persona. That's what bothers me. What's your response? 
I, I agree. And I think the story may be very well be in a few days is that the Democrats underperformed with Latinos, particularly, you know, there was this thought, there's always been this buzzword of the new democratic majority and how much better we're going to do among Latinos. It looks like Trump is doing much better among Latinos uh, this time around, at least in Florida and maybe some other States in the uh, South and Southeast as well. So, I mean, the, the narrative coming out of this may be that it was really the, you know, the the older white voters in the Midwest and suburban voters in the Midwest that saved Biden. And that's yeah. not the coalition that I think we were going into this thinking that we were going to have. So it, it really will require some soul searching, no matter what the results are on uh, strategy and, and why we were off on that. Well, by the way, I, before I, I buy into that, uh, David Ferris, our uh, previous guest, was talking about that. Let me point out one more time. Uh, the Latino community in this country is by no means a monolith. I keep emphasizing this. Uh, and the Cuban American vote in Florida uh, is far different than, let's say, the Mexican American vote uh, in Chicago or in Nevada or in Arizona or in Texas. And so I just think it's really it's really too early to make it. I would like to see, for instance, now go to local. I have not seen any local results, uh, Jacob. So I'd be curious what, like, the results from let's say the 12th ward in chicago or the 23rd ward in chicago in the hispanic uh, precincts in those areas or the 14th ward in chicago and burke's ward which is heavily hispanic or even the 13th ward which is uh mike mannequin she followed say before i would make any conclusions based on what some cuban american voters did in florida you follow me I agree. Or Venezuelan Americans or, or, you know, I mean, Florida is a whole different ballgame. And, you know, if we end up winning Arizona, I think the Latino vote will, will have played a part in that as well. So I agree. It's, you can't, uh, you know, say it's all a monolithic block, but it will still be an important uh, thing to search and see what happened. Yeah. All right, let's uh, shift gears uh, to the local results. I've not seen any local results. You're going to be our reporter uh, on this one. Uh, the f- the one we've talked a lot about on this show is state's attorney uh, Kim Fox running for re-election against Patrick O'Brien. Uh, you're going to be breaking news on this show because we haven't discussed it. I haven't seen anything. What's going on in that race? Uh, so, so as of right now, uh, Kim is winning uh, with 54% of the vote. O'Brien's at 40%. Tennessee, the Libertarian, is at 7 uh, I will say that most of the city is in. There's still some precincts in the suburbs that are out. And I'm also trying to figure out, I think some of the early vote and, and mail-in ballots in the suburbs may still not be included in this count as well. So I think that taken all together goes well for Kim. I think she's going to win tonight. It's not going to be all that close, um, but she's going to win uh, pretty handily when all is said and done. Do, do you have any sense of what percentage of the vote has been calc- uh, counted? Well, in, in the city of Chicago, we have about 88% of the vote in, according to the Chicago Board of Elections. Um, the thing I'm just questioning is that in the suburbs, there's about uh, still about 100 precincts out out of 1,600 in suburban Cook County, but there's only 778,000 votes in, and there were many more than that cast uh, because there's also that, that the early votes and 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 uh, absentees in the suburbs were something like 750,000 votes. So I don't know if that count includes the early and early votes or doesn't include the election day votes. So something may be missing in that reporting. And um, as soon as we're uh, we're done here, I'm going to try to figure out what uh, what's going on. But regardless of what's what the story is, there's enough votes in, I think, to say that. Uh, 
Kim Fox is in a really good spot right now. Yeah, I would say so. Fifty-four to forty percent. Yeah, uh, I don't. <laughs> there's just some major uh, harvesting of votes. A quick call, Donald Trump. If uh, that thing's uh, uh, yeah. reversed, a fourteen percent uh, uh, lead uh, may, is uh, wiped away. I'm curious if you have it in front of you, the forty-second ward. This has been on my mind. Uh, Brendan Riley is the alderman and the committeeman, uh, a Democratic committeeman, <clears throat> a Democratic committeeman, and yet he felt compelled to endorse uh, Patrick O'Brien. Not uh, just to give money to. Yeah, and I, I listen. I'm going to say what I always say when I mention Brendan Riley. I have to say this. I appreciate very much, Brendan, how you stood with the reader when we were uh, really down and out negotiating with the Sun-Times. He showed up at a reader uh, rally, and I will always remember that. But you really disappointed me, Brendan, with this. Uh, to blame Kim Fox for the rioting that took place in August, I just think is so far-fetched, Jacob. I mean, you could be mad at Kim Fox for how she handled Smoletgate, but to blame her for the rioting had nothing to do with her office. And my, this is me speaking, nothing to do with her at all. What a stretch. And that's just like, you know, bowing down to the biggest hotheads in the 42nd Ward. Do you follow what I'm saying? I'm it very is. disappointed in that. It is. No, I, I agree with you. I wish I had results uh, for the ward, but unfortunately, the board doesn't report uh, ward by ward results usually until much later or even early uh, tomorrow morning. So can't, uh, can't break it down like that just yet. What's your sense of how things are going uh, from what your reports you have from precinct captains, et cetera, and so forth, uh, the Gold Coast areas? Uh, where they? Uh, do you think that's where Pat O'Brien would be strong? I would think so. I mean, the city results overall, I mean, are looking really good for Kim. I mean, with 88% of the results in, I mean, Kim's got, let's pull it up here as I look. Kim is at, is getting 62% of the vote. So considering I'm sure a lot of that is in the 42nd ward, it's not, you know, impacting the results to make a huge difference. Uh, it's hard to say what happens on the ground in the 42nd ward just because it's a strange ward. It's mostly high rises. So you don't really have that type of door to door campaigning. And also this time around, of course, due to the pandemic, almost uh, a huge majority of the votes, especially in that ward, were by mail or early vote uh, in person. So tough to say exactly uh, how things are going to shake out there in the 42nd, uh, but we'll we'll know soon, soon enough. Uh, well, I, uh, I I had said that uh, the 42nd might rival uh, the, the southwest and northwest side wards for Pat O'Brien's strength. Uh, all right. Uh, Brennan Riley is a Democratic committeeman. Uh, will there be any, will he be held accountable for uh not only endorsing, but giving a thousand, a thousand, like, like, like the guy needed a thousand bucks. That's the funny thing. What a weird number to give him. Like what's a thousand, you know what I'm saying? It's like, why bother? You yeah. know, why bother? It's not, it's not really going to help him. You know, uh, it's just a symbolic move. Is, uh, there, is there going to be any accountability? I think there, uh, you know, there are some of our, uh, his fellow committee men have already made some indications that they want to uh, hold him accountable. There is a process uh, through the rules committee of the party that uh, that can happen and he can be potentially stripped of committee assignments and things like that. So I imagine after the election, uh, something will happen there uh, based on what, what I'm hearing. And what about Hopkins, Brian Hopkins from the second ward? Are they going to give him a pass because he just well, didn't endorse anybody. He's not the he's not the uh, committee man. He's just the alderman. So oh, I thought he was the committee man. Who is the yeah. committee man in the second ward? That's actually Tim Egan. 
So Tim oh, Egan. Oh, Tim Egan. I yeah. guess I mean, things yeah. changed so much. He used to be in the 43rd ward. I know. Moved around a lot, but he's there in the second ward. Also the CEO of Roseland Hospital does a lot of good work there. And he's a he's a good Democrat. So no no worries with him uh, supporting uh, a Republican. That's for sure. Come on, Tim. Come on. Yes. Yeah. Come on, Hopkins. Let me just talk to you. Come on, Brian. Yeah. <laughs> you got your you got your Lincoln Yards. All right. You got your huge TIFF mega thing. You know, what you got to go and support uh, uh, too controversial. God dang. Come on, man. Take a stand. Good God. All right. Uh, Michael uh, Tuman, the judge. Uh, we've talked a lot about there. We've, we've talked about this uh, in the party uh, turned on him and urged people to vote. No, he needed 60 percent of the vote uh, to be retained. What's going on in that race? Too close to call. He's he's at sixty point three percent in the city with uh, again uh, 89 percent of the vote reporting, and he's at sixty four point three percent in the suburbs. Um, but again, uh, I there's a significant amount of the suburban votes still out. So too close to call. It's going to be very. It's going to be down to the wire on that one. I, I think just based on that, I'm going to go. I put my money in Vegas. He's going to be retained uh, because you would need a big uh, anti-tumor vote in the city you know, uh, to, uh, to overcome and let's give a shout out. I know you're not going to be joining me in this Mark Brown of the sun times. I finally, the Mark Brown, you want a victory. The guy wrote like three or four columns. I want to say Jacob, um, extolling the virtues of Michael Tuman and chastising the democratic party, your beloved democratic party, my beloved democratic party, uh, for a power play. Uh, and so, Hey, I'll, I'll take it as a sign that, uh, the vibrancy of journalism. <laughs> I'm trying to say this with a straight face. Uh, I've been waging crusades, uphill crusades, Jacob, for 30 years to no avail on all kinds of issues. But it looks like Mark might have won it. Uh, well, so I disagree with his the way he casted the race and, and our motives and all that. So I agree he's a great journalist, but uh, you know I, we had we had numerous reasons for uh, for going after Judge Tuman, and so did the juvenile justice uh, community and, and many others. So disagree with the assertion that it was just political play payback all right well uh moving on to the one that matters the most to me in the local uh election and from what dennis has been <clears throat> reading the news is gloomy here and this is the fair tax and jacob you and i could talk for about an hour on uh the pros and the cons of the strategy to uh get the fair tax passed what are the results what are you seeing uh the early results in the fair tax uh, it's 70% in the city voting yes, but only 52% in the suburbs. Um, again, a lot of the vote out, have to have that caveat, but I'm hearing it's getting slaughtered downstate, you know, like Sagamon County, uh, where Springfield is, it's 60% uh, no. Uh, so, and I'm not sure where it's at in the collar counties now, but from what I'm hearing, uh, things don't look great for, for the fair tax as of right now. Okay. We're going to bring us uh, Stacy Davis Gates will be joining us in about in a little while. I'm sure she's going to want to break down uh, the fair tax and the strategies, et cetera, and so forth. Uh, Monday morning quarterbacking, you look at it, what might have been done differently uh, to sort of change those results, particularly downstate uh, Jacob. What could have been done? Is it? Sorry. Just, uh, what could have been done differently. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I don't know about changing the, the, the votes downstate. Um, but I mean, I think it's just, it's all about, it's, it's a tough, you know, anytime you're, you're dealing with taxes, the messaging is tough. And I think number one, uh, fair tax, it, that's not how it appeared on the ballot. So I'll be curious to see how many people dropped off and didn't vote for the fair tax or just left it blank. Because when you looked at the ballot, I've heard many people say they were confused. 
It has all this legal language about amendments to the Illinois Constitution. It's easy to miss. So I just wonder how many people didn't even find it that would have voted for it, number one. Kind of makes me wish that we were like California where, you know, it's Proposition 12. Not that I want that system, but, you know, some sort of numbering system to, uh, to, to, to tell you where these things are on the ballot may be helpful. So I'll be interested to see, uh, you know, just how many people left it blank. And then I just think generally, you know, the amount of money spent against it was tremendous from the Republicans in the last month, Ken Griffin and others. And uh, I just think it's, you know, just hammering home the message that, uh, you know, if we don't vote yes on this tax, you know, the middle class of taxes are all going to go up because the state's going to have to raise the flat tax on everybody. I think getting that message out there was key uh, as well. I'm not sure if that penetrated through to everybody. Yeah. Well, my uh, listen, everything you said is absolutely true. And let's just talk about that ballot. You're absolutely I mean, I like I talked obsessively about the fair tax. I wrote columns about the fair tax. I had that moment of panic, Jacob, when I looked at my ballot. What is this thing? A a dissertation, a political science? You know what I mean? It was like this big chunk of the ballot. And it's it's like yep. banging my. It's confusing. It really is. It's not ideal. It should be clearly numbered, indicated, and that's something that I think uh, we need to look at fixing for next time around. Well, uh, we'll be discussing this uh, in much greater detail with Stacey Davis Gates because uh, if this if it has failed and it does sound like the numbers are against it, uh, it it's going to make an already difficult uh, budget season even worse. Not just. Uh, state but also chicago because chicago is dependent on the state for money and if the state can't raise money because it can't tax the wealthiest people in the state higher than it taxes me and dennis and you then we're in a pickle and um so good job kenny g and phyllis phyllis is the the retiree i'm going to be looking at those numbers uh jacob that come out of the uh uh, the like the 41st ward and the 23rd ward retirees and pensions. If you guys fell for that Phyllis ad, I, I, they, they make you pay like a penalty. You should lose like 10%. Because that's so stupid. Um, Agreed. Agreed. <laughs> all right, let's talk about, uh, while I got you here, uh, some of these congressional races. We, we love that ad. We've been playing it. We make fun of her all the time. Jeannie Ives was trying to reinvent uh, herself as this uh, perky, I don't know if it's centrist, but not wacko uh, in her run against Sean Caston. Any sense of how that's going? I've not seen anything on that, no? No, it's it's just the, the vote counting's been slow there. So, you know, it's it's only 20% of the vote in. It's I, I don't even want to announce the results. That's not enough to uh, to, to say anything, but I think that uh, I think Sean Gaston's going to be fine. About it. Okay, yeah, you have actually, in other words, uh, yeah, it's a 20% in areas where Jeannie Ives would be strong anyway, so you yeah. can't judge anything. Yeah, a little bit now, but that's, again, that's 20% of the vote in. That's nothing. So, and what about uh, Lauren uh, Underwood versus Jim Oberweiss? That, again, is only 33% of the vote in. Lauren's up uh, yeah, by maybe uh, 300 votes. But, again, too, too, uh, too close to, to call at this point. Not enough vote in. But based on everything uh, I've seen leading into this election, I think that she'll still uh, pull this out. Uh, yeah. I, um, that was one we've been making fun of Oberweiss because he's just doubling down on his Trump support. It just made no sense to me. Um, you know what I'm saying? Like, not in the suburbs. It's like if he was running in a rural district or something. Yeah. But I just where he's running is not a Trump district uh, by any means. Yeah. And uh, he even went he went to Kenosha, which um, 
I, I don't know why he went to Kenosha. Anything on Kinzinger uh, versus uh, Danny B? Danny B's a favorite on this show. Uh, she was running in the 16th congressional district. Uh, that one is Kinzinger uh, ahead. He's at 64% uh, to uh, 36%, uh, but only half the vote is in in that race. So, But still doesn't look yeah. great for uh, for the Democrat there, unfortunately, and, at this point. And, and what about Ben's, uh, Betsy Londrigan? Uh, that one uh, has Rodney Davis up with 60%. Uh, he's at 60 right now with 66% of the vote in. So... Not looking great for the Dem there, uh, for Betsy either. Yeah. Uh, and uh, anything on the, the Cobride race, the, his retention race uh, downstate? That was a big uh, looking at he is at yes votes fifty five point eight percent with seventy percent of the vote in. Wow. So, <laughs> we'll not see. looking good. He needs to be, of course. So we'll see. Well, this is this is a uh, you know uh, I don't want to put you in the spot, uh, but th- this is. Uh, the Republicans have spent a long time bashing Michael Madigan and they've invested a lot uh, in uh, bashing Michael Madigan. We talked about Stacey with this, with uh, Stacey Davis Gates and there's a payoff, I think uh, particularly downstate where the Madigan name uh, is, uh, is held in low uh, opinion downstate. And I wish in retrospect that Mike Madigan had fought back more uh, on this one because uh, now it's just a gimme. You know, it's it's like almost the equivalent of using Trump's name against a Republican uh, in in Chicago. Do you follow what I'm saying? It's just it's a gimme. And we're seeing that with the fair tax, with the Kilbride race, et cetera, uh, Jacob. So I, I wish the Democrats have fought a little harder on that front. Yep. Yep. I, but uh, what, what can we say? <laughs> Everyone just kind of assess the results as they uh happened in the next few days and then figure out the uh the path forward on that so all right before we let you go just your overall sense of things uh right now i've not taken a look at any updates on the national map i'm just assuming that arizona is going to go for the democrats and that we're going to be waiting on wisconsin pennsylvania and michigan uh that there's not going to be any quick victories for the dems um do you have any general senses of uh, about what this night's going to end up being for the democrats i just don't think we're going to know tonight again i think uh like you said it's it's pennsylvania especially and wisconsin and other states have just uh you know they're saying the mail-in ballot count's going to take days potentially so i don't think we're going to have a good sense we'll probably have a much better sense tomorrow but i don't think we're going to know anything for sure tonight but again that's much better than what we were in 2016 when we knew uh, we're over absolutely so uh and i i feel pretty good about our chances and Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Michigan, and Arizona, based on where it's at now. So I'm, I'm a little nervous because I would have liked this night to go uh, quicker than this, but uh, I still feel pretty confident we'll be in a good shape, at least for the presidency in the next few days. All right. Very good. Jake, I want to let you go. Thanks uh, for coming on. I really appreciate it. And uh, when we return, I'm hoping Stacey Davis-Gates will join us. Take care, Jacob. Have a good one. Thanks. Take care. And I tested 
very positively in a in another sense. So negative. this morning, yeah, I tested positively toward negative, right? So no, I tested uh, perfectly this morning. Meaning, meaning I tested negative. Welcome back to Election Night with the Ben Jarofsky Show. Benny J, take it away. <laughs> All right. I'll tell you what, this election night's a lot better than the last four years. And we got also such a bad start. Democrats didn't win Florida. So it's like, you know, I was like, oh, ready to celebrate. In fact, yeah, I'm going to just do a little confession before we went on here. I, I went for a walk. And I, uh, I said, you know what? I'm not going to just obsessively follow the election. I'm going to go for a walk. So I went for a walk. Uh, and when I looked at the phone, when I first started to walk, the Democrats were, I think Biden was up by 0.1%. I mean, it was just a narrow thing. And when I got back from the walk, Trump was up. I was like, oh, man, God dang. You know, because I really wanted Florida. That would have just set the, the tone for a whole different night. And it does. I can't remember if it was David Ferris mentioned this. It does remind me so much the, of 2018 and the way that election, the midterm election started. Uh, I believe we were working in a radio station uh, when we did that one, as I recall. And um, so this is really reminding me of that like, delayed gratification. But it's still better than 2016, because by this time, 2016, we were pulverized. These people of my uh, liberal persuasion, you know what I mean? That like the Trump victory was really like settling in as a reality uh, at uh, in in 2016. I was sitting in that reader office watching reader editors, etc., uh, just freak out. And uh, so one of the one of the reasons why I did this is I did not want to have to sit there and watch those damn needles. Oh, the needle is now ninety five percent. It looks victory with that needle. Just pointing out, um, it, it's going to be a replica of what went down. Uh, in um, 2016 with Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania. Uh, and, you know, we could afford to lose, like winning Arizona, uh, we could afford to lose Wisconsin. If you're just talking raw numbers, you shift Arizona with its 11 electoral votes for the 10 votes in Wisconsin. Um, but, uh, you know, that still means you have to win Michigan and Pennsylvania. And I was actually more confident of winning Wisconsin than I was of those. So, you know, uh, still got to win the big three. And uh, yeah, I could take that deep dive and talk about the second congressional district race in Nebraska. All important second congressional district race in Nebraska. That's one electoral vote. You got that second congressional district uh, electoral vote in Maine. This is where you get really obsessive and geeky. You know, oh, you get those two in there. They may be, nope, we still need Michigan or Pennsylvania. Good damn. Michigan's crazy, Dennis. I mean, a crazy state. I mean, crazy militia people like threatening to kidnap the governor. I don't know. The, I don't get this country right now. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, the more I'm talking about it, the more I'm thinking about it. This president's freaking crazy. <laughs> <laughs> we crazy. Florida, I like him. I don't know. 
All right, with the last-minute updates here, I'm looking at uh, – this is about six minutes ago. Biden wins New Hampshire, um, the state where he yes. came in fifth in the Democratic primary. Polls, yes. polls have closed in four more states. Uh, let's see here. California, Oregon, Idaho, and Washington. Biden picks up three states. Trump wins Idaho. Polls just closed in four western states, but all of them have already been called by the AP. Uh, it says here, Joe Biden has won California. Oh, I'm getting updates as this thing's going on here. Uh, Joe oh, Biden, I love this. Yeah, it says Joe Biden has won California, Oregon, and Washington State, while Donald Trump has won Idaho. Uh, let's see what else we got here. Fox News has called Florida, and it's 29 electoral votes for Donald Trump. Uh, so we have that as well. Uh, yeah, so those are the latest updates here. I'm looking at The Guardian, kind of a nice little source there for uh, these updates. So, and thank you everybody for checking, uh, hanging out with us at the live stream chat. Uh, feel free to weigh in. And Stacey Davis Gates will be joining us in just minutes. Yeah, I just sent her a text uh, to remind her to check that email. Uh, I love it when those when like they're so confident. The state closes. Boom! Give Idaho to Trump. Like, have they even counted a vote? Uh, that, they actually, I mean, they did the same thing with Illinois. I was all excited. Oh wow! Like a blue popped up. It says here, Republican blue. Congressman Doug Collins has conceded in the special Senate election in Georgia. Uh, the race will proceed to a January runoff between Republican Kelly Loeffler, uh, who was appointed to the seat, and Democratic candidate uh, Raphael Warnock. So that was an update there. Oh, that's good. All right. Um, uh, Kelly Loeffler is the uh, incumbent. She was uh, uh, placed there to replace Johnny Isaacson when he got was too ill uh, to um, fill out his term. So they're going to be running to fill up over that. Uh, See again. See, there's two uh, Senate races in Georgia. The other one is uh, Purdue versus John Ossoff, uh, and Ossoff is the young man who ran for Congress uh, in 2018 in New Gingrich's old district and lost. Very expensive election, uh, and uh, he is running against David Purdue, the incumbent. Is there any? Do you have any results on that one, D? On which one again? Uh, that is John Ossoff in, in uh, Georgia versus David Purdue. Uh, not on hand. I'll be looking for it. Yeah, that's a uh, that's a key race. If the Democrats are going to take um, back the Senate, uh, David Ferris was talking a lot about that on the show the other day. He's like, he's got Georgia on his mind. Uh, there's two seats up in Georgia. Looks like, so we know, looks like Purdue yeah. is at 54.7 percent at the moment. And John Ossoff is at 43 percent. No, that's not good. What, what, what percent of the vote in does it say? Uh, vote count uh, doesn't say. All right. Yeah. So we don't know what that. But oh, that, that's not looking 66, good. Sixty-six percent reporting. Oh, 66. Come on, Asaf. Dang. Well, this gets back to. See, this is. I'm not sure. I'm buying into uh, what Maya was saying uh, this time around. I felt it much stronger. Um, well, there's. Is that Stacy Davis Gates? I see. It's Stacy Davis Gates. How are you? I'm doing well, Stacy. You can't see me because my computer's so old it doesn't have a camera. Yeah, uh, right. You're in the bed eating <laughs> ice cream. That's not true. All right. Now, listen, Stacy. I got. I need to be bolstered. I need me to fire it up. I need to feel better about the world. And so I'm turning to you. The ball is in your court. There's a point guard for many years. You got to deliver things. Uh, um, go ahead. Your general thoughts. 
Um, well, you know, I, I thought that this election, white supremacy was on the ballot. You know, you look up at Michigan, where they were literally plotting to kidnap a sitting governor. Um, you look at Wisconsin, where COVID rates are th- through the roof and people are still refusing to, you know, do anything to mitigate the rise. Those were the things that I was paying more attention to, less of the polls, because I think in 16, we learned a good lesson about polls, that they are only as accurate as people are willing to be honest. And I just think that people are not being honest about how they really feel until they cast their vote. And so that's what I think we're seeing in this moment. Um, And, you know, all politics are local. And you go back to, you know, the emphasis on hyper-local races. One of the bright spots is that um, citizens in the city of Chicago um, believe in taxing um, wealth. So you can actually get through, um, you know, a progressive type of tax this um, during this budget season, right? You can, you know, maybe stave off some of the property tax hikes and some of the layoffs um, by looking at something that's more progressive that taxes people like Ken Griffin, who can evidently write checks, you know, for tens of millions of dollars at the drop of a hat. So, I mean, those are some bright spots. I mean, I think Chicago's ready to tax, you know, millionaires and billionaires. Yay. You know, we can do that here. Um, especially as we're looking at this um, budget. I think also, too, um, the magic of what happens here in Illinois, if you look at the map, the preliminary map right now, and all of the red around us, and we're blue, it just is amazing that Illinois can remain blue. And I I think that should be something people spend some time um, thinking through. How does that happen? What is happening to make that happen? Um, and who's the architect of that? All right. Uh, let's start. Let's uh, keep it local. Um, uh, and let's go back to the theme that you raised. You were talking about the fair tax, of course, uh, which was the, uh, the, the amendment uh, to the Illinois Constitution that would allow uh, J.P. Pritzker uh, and the, uh, the General Assembly to raise the rates on the, the wealthiest people in Illinois in order to raise those rates, in order to um, have a progressive tax as opposed to a, a flat tax, which we have now, we have to amend the Constitution. It looks as though statewide it will not meet its 60% mandate. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but those were the last numbers I saw. But 70% of the vote uh, in Chicago, 70% of the voters in Chicago voted yes. And so the point you're making, Stacey, is a very local point. And the point you're making is that um, leaders in Chicago, certain mayor of Chicago, uh, and the aldermen in the city of Chicago, in your humble opinion, should look uh, to these results to say they can venture into more progressive areas uh, to raise money to uh, meet our budget in the middle of this pandemic. Is that what you're saying? Absolutely. You can. Voters gave you that. That's a mandate, 70 percent. So I would not like if I'm a sitting alderman in this moment, I would not be shy. Hell, if I was on the county board, I wouldn't be shy. Um, you know, it also won in the county, not by the same margin, obviously, and it still won. You you get to tax rich people in Cook County and the city of Chicago. That was that result. And that's not a poll. 
that people actually voted. And we haven't counted everything yet. So th- those margins can certainly grow. I think that is promising. And it also speaks to the type of organizing um, that the movement has been doing for like the last decade or so and putting at the fore this need to tax the rich. And so at this point, Chicagoans are accustomed to hearing that they've been organized around that idea and they demonstrated um, their support for it today. So I think that, you know, this whole concept of laying workers off and cutting services and closing down services and um, raising property taxes on the same people you plan to lay off, you don't have to have that discussion anymore. You can go straight for um, progressive income or progressive taxation here in Chicago. Raising taxes on the people you're laying off. Yeah, not a very... um... It's not a very uh, pragmatic way to fill your budget uh, shortfalls. You lay the people off saving whatever money you save, and then you raise their taxes, uh, basically putting them out of existence. When you evaluate, Stacey, the resistance uh, to the uh, fair tax, which was largely financed, as you point out, by uh, well-to-do people like Kenny G, uh, Ken Griffith, uh, how deep do you think uh, that resistance is? Is it just this notion that they just plugged in on? And, and by the way, Civic Chicago, join them on this, Stacey. Well, of Civic course. Chicago, join they, them. You know, Civic Chicago and Ken Griffin also championed the closing of like over 200 schools that black kids went to. So, you know, I'm not surprised that they would also be um, opposed to those same children and their families having um, a progressive income tax that would provide more for the public sector, which, you know, largely um, employs people of color and women. You know, to me, it goes together. I'm not surprised by that at all. But it also speaks to the need for the type of organizing that's been done in Chicago for a number of years to reach other parts of our state. Look, I think um, I remember that the state of Illinois has more documented sundown um, counties, cities, towns, if you will, um, than any other place in the nation. And for it to be blue on that map, that is something worth analyzing and i can't say that enough because if you if we we are literally in a position where you have a blue state with a history of um exclusion um oppression but you still have a blue state what is that about and what can we learn from it and then how do we translate that into um other, you know, tax um, the rich um, initiatives, because there's something to be learned from that. But I would also say this, too, is that shifting taxation in this state is going to be a multi-year endeavor. I would also say that taxing rich people in this state, we have to begin to unpack you know, just this um, this false premise of, you know, people who don't have money thinking that they have money or that rich people actually earned all that rich people money. What do you mean by that? Go into that a little bit. Well, I mean, think about how wealth is created and has been created in this country. It's, it's been through socialism, if you will. 
you know, tax abatements, um, tax breaks. Think about Amazon right now. We pay municipalities and states and so forth. They pay Amazon to come to their space. Amazon doesn't invest in that. Obviously, they pay a salary. They pay a wage. But you have like these large corporations relying on the largesse of government to fund their endeavor to create the infrastructure. And so if we're not having those conversations, so we can fund, you know, sports stadiums, we can fund um, Amazon, but we can't provide um, breast, breast cancer screenings. We can't fund um, in neighborhood public schools. You know, think about like what people need versus what people aren't receiving. I, I agree with you 100%, uh, particularly it, it, it's the way the, uh, the issue is framed. So if you give a, a tax break uh, to Amazon to encourage them uh, to build a warehouse <clears throat> on the south side of Chicago or in University Park in the south suburbs, uh, that's considered an investment. Uh, in uh, economic development. That's how that's presented by the powers that be. Uh, if you pay a retiree a pension so that he or she can pay his bills or her bills and raise a family uh, and be a productive citizen in Chicago, that somehow or other is considered a waste of money. psychology you agree with me Stacy we have to become more adept at an organizing conversation asking people what do they imagine what do they believe in what do they believe we can get together you know so much of this electoral cycle was vote or die and it's like dude people are dying literally right now you know, it, it, we, we are not having an honest look. One thing that I know from going on strike a few times is that if you have an honest conversation with grownups about the stakes, right, you don't have to sell them an illusion. They will more than likely make the right decision and the right decision, meaning voting um, and, and behaving in their best interest. We typically in electoral politics don't necessarily trust them. And we use polling wrongly. I think polling is an indication of how you organize. Like you take the data in and you clarify, okay, this is where people stand today. Now, this is where, you know, we want to move them. And then what is the, what, what are the things that we say and do in between the, the initial poll and then the ultimate poll, you know, like E-Day, right? And so we're using polling, though, to reinforce instead of to organize. But that is a multi-year endeavor. It's not, you know, an electoral cycle endeavor at all. And then here's the other thing. I think folks really need to come to terms with um, white supremacy is comfortable for a lot of people. Patriarchy is very comfortable for a lot of people. Um, and what does that mean? Honestly, you know, 
it's comfortable for some, uncomfortable for others. Um, you know, this whole like toss tuming thing that, you know, has been going on, you know, somehow folks think that jailing black kids is, is repulsive when there are millions of black people in prison right now, like literally that, that actually ain't going to move the needle. Cause if it did, then why does it exist in the way that it exists right now? You know, we have to start being honest about this, even if it's an uncomfortable honesty. How do we move people? How are we organizing people? How are we talking to people? And how are we absolutely accepting what it is in this moment? I'm not saying agree with it, but acknowledge what it is and then figure out how to get it to where you need it to be. And that's organizing. That's just not like vote or die. Uh, well, all right. You raised a lot there uh, to pick apart. Uh, and um, the contradictions, I may have said this to you already, the contradictions between the, like the message, just look in the, uh, the state's attorney's race to prove this point. Uh, we have, I've, I haven't seen any updates in a while. I think Kim Fox will win. I was predict, predicting all along she was going to win. But uh, Patrick O'Brien ran the, one of the most blatantly uh, racist campaigns I've seen since Bernie Epton against Harold Washington, which was before your time. Uh, it was a long time ago, is my point. And save Chicago, vote for Pat O'Brien was his message. I'm like, are you kidding me? Save Chicago to vote, voting for you? Like what? Okay, so that was that was the message. At the same time, Donald Trump, the leader of the party that Patrick O'Brien uh, is part of, was saying he did more for black people with his uh, uh, first step program, criminal justice reform. Uh, than um, anybody else. He had done more for black people than anybody else, uh, including Abraham Lincoln, or except for maybe for Abraham Lincoln. Stacey, the contradiction embedded in that position where Donald Trump gets to get away with saying something outrageous and is not challenged on it in any way, because I don't know, maybe the Democrats are afraid to champion a criminal justice reform so that... Ice Cube can stand up and say, oh, voting for uh, Donald Trump is a vote is a, like for criminal justice. It's so bizarre and twisted that it really sometimes I feel my head's going to blow up. How do you deal with those kinds of contradictions? But those contradictions are always there. They're just not there in way they're here in Chicago. Like you can hear that same conversation about Democrats versus Republicans in Chicago. And They'll talk about Rosalind, they'll talk about Inglewood, they'll talk about West Garfield Park as to why, um, you know, people need to vote um, out Democrats because they're not like seeing, feeling, experiencing a better quality of life. Right now, listen, here's the thing. You can be pissed off with Democrats, but the conclusion isn't Donald Trump. I mean, I completely reject that. Like, look, you know, I wasn't a Biden delegate or even a cheerleader for that matter, but I do know something about the need to survive in this moment. And Donald Trump makes that awfully hard. You, you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. And um, the contradiction is that real people 
are not experiencing a real benefit from policies and, and we're supposed to tuck it in during election time. And here we are. Yeah, here we are indeed. All right, let's go back to the way you mentioned the Michael Tuman thing. And there's that, uh, we sh- I, I cannot let you uh, leave. I've got to play this. Uh, Stacey Davis Gates, dear friend, Lori Lightfoot, mayor of the city of Chicago, uh, had, uh, I don't know what uh, the mayor of the city of Chicago has got against Chicago Teachers Union. We've discussed this many times. Every time Stacey's on the show, we talk about this. But D, I sent you this tape uh, this uh, that uh, was on Twitter. Um, uh, it's this, uh, Mary, Mayor Lori Lightfoot, uh, outside of school. I'm not quite sure where it was. And there is a social worker, a school social worker, uh, who confronts her about Judge uh, Michael Tuman. Uh, the uh, Tony Pregwinkle and the Cook County Democratic Party had tried to um, unseat Tuman uh, by uh, not giving them endorsement. I was just talking to Jacob Kaplan. It looks as though that it's going to be unsuccessful and that Tuman will be retained. But just an interesting little exchange between uh, Lori Lightfoot. D, let me know when you have it ready to go. And then I'd love to hear what Stacey Davis Gates has to say about it. Go ahead, D. All right, well, keep up the good work, everybody. Thank you. Thanks for coming back. Commander, good to see you. Take care. Mayor, Judge Tuman locks up 11-year-olds. Why did you endorse Judge Tuman? He locks up 11-year-olds. No, I'm happy to endorse Judge Tuman because he's a good judge. How so? He advocated to lock up younger children. And then he denied their release when they had COVID. How do I have them wrong? Because the Justice Watch and the Democratic Party wouldn't endorse him. The Teachers Union is wrong about that. And the Democratic Party also did not endorse him. Your teacher. First of all, how? All right, help me out here, Stacey Davis Gates. She's uh, Mayor Lori. I mean, the teachers union wasn't even mentioned. It was uh, the teachers union I mentioned. We don't endorse judicial races, man. (laughs) I mean, let's start there. Um, It's a complicated endeavor that requires study. I think it doesn't a, a judicial endorsement should not be the same type of endorsement process. Um, that we do with other political candidates. So um, I am I am very cold to that, to be honest with you. In fact, I used the Injustice Watch Judicial Guide um, the, the past few times um, that they've put it out, um, you know, because it was thoughtful and it was thorough. Um, but this whole thing, like, look, she didn't have to say that today for us to know how she feels about it. Like the positivity rate, the COVID positivity rate in the city of Chicago right now, I think is like 10%. Mm -hmm. And there is an arbitrator's order basically telling the Chicago public schools and the mayor that our tech coordinators and our clerks should not be going into these buildings because they're not equipped to keep them safe. And they're still in the buildings because they refuse to comply with the order. Not only that, the clerks who decided to save their own life, they've been docked paid for doing so. Right. And then the other, and then some other ones who decided to actually go to work, they're sick right now. And family members are sick. 
So her like demonstration today outside of a school with the finger pointing and the aggressive behavior, um, that that is a gross demonstration of, of leadership, very gross. And it is connected to the gross demonstration of leadership that we see with respect to our schools, the, the uh, workers within the schools as it relates to this pandemic. Um, bless her heart. Bless her heart. Uh, why did she immediately jump to the conclusion uh, that the Chicago Teachers Union was behind the effort to unseat Michael Tuman? Because I think she sees all of her opposition in red. Um, unfortunately. And I think that that's a mistake. Um, look, there are many people in this city who make up their minds about a whole number of things that we have zero, um, you know, we don't have anything to do with. And what I will say is that um, I just think that someone has to call her on that behavior. Like, yo, you can't go around bullying um, social workers, like teachers. That's not a good look. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. like, honestly, people have taken out an entire text on the way Trump has handled school reopening, taken out an entire text on Trump about how he um, behaves. Well, y'all got one brewing here in the city. Real talk. You, you have... You saw the video and she knew that that video was filming. She wants that energy and that action. And um, yeah, that's not good, man. That's not good. It's, it's disgusting. I'm actually, to be honest with you, I'm very concerned because if she would behave the way that she did while being filmed, she's our boss. Right. And that young lady has a job. So, you know, my immediate thought went to, you know, what type of retaliation will this young woman have to deal with because of the thin skinned nature of our boss? Mm-hmm. I'm, that I am concerned about. All right. Uh, Robert Peters is uh, joining us. We're going to bring him on and uh, broaden the topic to more uh, the issues of uh, the future of progressive politics in the uh, uh, tonight with the election results. But before we do that, I just want to follow up one last question with you on this issue uh, about uh, Lori Lightfoot, teachers going back to school, etc. Uh, it's really not uh, directly related to the national election that's here. But Troy LaRabie was on the show. He comes on all the time, head of the Chicago Principals Association. We had this discussion about opening the schools and we, we got into a conversation, uh, Stacy, about uh, the strange attitude that exists in the same parts of like civic and editorial Chicago, the same, some of the same groups that urged <laughs> vote no on the fair tax because somehow or other, we, we can't raise the tax on the wealthiest people until we clean up corruption in Illinois, which uh, what a stretch that was. Uh, you know, it's funny, they never worry about cleaning up corruption when they want to give $2 billion to Amazon. Uh, but, uh, you know, then, oh, just give them the money. Forget the corruption then. But but here's the thing. I don't, like, almost all of Civic Chicago, and somebody uh, in editorial Chicago are saying, Lori, whatever you do, Mayor Lightfoot, whatever you do with these schools, do not, do not listen to the Chicago Teachers Union. I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah. I'm like, what planet are we on? We're not supposed to listen to the union of the people who are going to go work in the schools? 
Just mm-hmm. don't listen to them. Whatever you do, whether you keep them open or you close some of them, don't listen to the Chicago Teachers Union. Stacey Davis Gates, I mean, what is? why is there such a bias, in your humble opinion, by the powers that be in the city of Chicago against the Chicago Teachers Union? I think we've been very clear about there's a segment in Chicago that have been freeloading off on the backs of working families for generations. Um, this is a city that is comfortable with black pain and black death in ways that we find um, immoral. Um, and, and there's also a deficit of morality when it comes to um, the public sector and that they don't want to talk about the public sector as a pathway for women to be um, strong and empowered in their own household. They refuse to talk about the public sector um, as a way for Black and Latinx families to actually maintain middle-class households, right? Mm -hmm. They want to take the black children and brown children and separate them as if they don't come from families and communities and offer them subpar fill in the blank. Right. And we've drawn lines in the sand. We've named names and we will continue to organize on it. And I think that that upsets the balance of power and priority for those groups that you've named. Right. Think about the contract that we settled last October and that it actually provides the infrastructure to deal with the impact of a, of, a, um, of a pandemic with nurses and social workers and smaller class sizes. But let the editorial board pages tell it we were being greedy, we didn't know what we were doing, and that we should have took the money and ran. Now look at where we are now. Now, I'm not vindicated in any way because it's still like so much to be done. But if you listen to people who are advocating for less, for the very people who need more and who, quite frankly, have given more in this city, then like you're no friend of anyone except for yourself. Hmm. And so and we're clear about that at our union. And I'm, I'm a proud member of the Chicago Teachers Union. I'm very proud. We are governed by justice. We are governed by equity. We are governed by, you know, this, this promise of liberty um, that this country has. And, and then the, here's the catch. We're also willing to work for that vision of, of equity. Um, we're not just going to tweet about it or pontificate about it. We're going to knock doors. We're going to make phone calls. We're going to have small and large group meetings. We're going to do the damn thing, period, end. And um, that's frightening, especially when you get accustomed to people just having, you know, a platform to talk about it and not be about it. All right, Stacey Davis-Gates, Senator uh, Robert Peters has joined us. Uh, Robert, can you hear us? I'm here. All right, uh, State Senator Robert Peters. I believe he actually may be your state senator, uh, Stacey Davis-Gates. L.D. Sims is mine. You know, I went more south a few years ago. Oh, I see. Okay, did not know that. Uh, Sit corrected. Uh, Robert, uh, let's uh, talk a little bit about the election results that have... uh, I'm looking at my map here. Uh, still, no, They still haven't said if Florida went to Trump. I've just kind of put it in my mind to Trump. 
and Arizona, they still haven't said that Arizona is going to go to um, Biden. To Biden, though, I put it in my mind uh, to Biden, uh, which means it's still coming down uh, to Wisconsin, Pennsylvania and Wisconsin. Uh, Robert Peters and Stacey Davis Gates, I'm going to ask you, Robert Peters, what's your general thought uh, about uh, the election results so far tonight? Um, I mean, I think particularly in the presidential, when we look at Wisconsin, Michigan and Pennsylvania, they're late in terms of mail in ballots and counting them. Uh, to call the election until later, so it's not happening today. Pennsylvania, we won't know about possibly until Friday, maybe even later than that. Um, you know, I, I don't know about Michigan's process that much, but what I can say is, you know, I think this is going to be, I think it was going to be a, people need to be in the streets demanding that every vote is counted, um, that we don't look at what, you know, I think gets a lot of good ratings, which is the horse race. Mm -hmm. And we, we just know that some of these States are going to be, you know, a legal battle and we have to ensure that the ballots are counted, uh, particularly in Pennsylvania. Uh, but we have a risk of, you know, Trump trying to pull a Bush v Gore part two, with, uh, you know, either Michigan, Wisconsin, or, and Pennsylvania. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to ask both of you this question then. Do you think the Democrats are better positioned uh, uh, this year to fight against uh, a Bush v. Gore? I'm, I, my, my mind, they rolled over uh, in 2000. They didn't fight hard enough. Uh, they definitely didn't go to the streets. The Republicans were the ones who went to the streets uh, in Miami, uh, in Florida in 2000. We'll start with Stacey and then go to Robert. Stacey, do you think the Democrats are in a better position to fight for this election? I think that um, they are. Um, and I, and I, don't, I wouldn't call it just Democrats. I think Americans are, whether they identify blue or not. I think people um, really want a change. I even think that the people who are voting for Trump see are voting for something different than the beltway, if you will, which is, I think, their, his appeal to them for, for, I'm not saying I agree, I'm just, you know, stating it. That being said, I do think that it will be harder for Republicans to get away this time without a fight. Now, that still doesn't mean that the DNC will be with the people that are in the streets. Like that's not a foregone um, conclusion either, um, ultimately. Um, and, you know, I think labor across this country has been very clear too about getting every vote counted and making sure that um, we get a better country than what we have now, because you saw what just happened with the Supreme Court. Like this, this is real. Yeah, no, it was a power grab. Robert, what's your thoughts on this? I think it's similar to Stacy here. I think it's the fact of the matter is there needs, there's going to need to be a fight. I think that, you know, Democrats themselves will fight in Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania. Uh, and the other part is, I think that there just needs to be some level of mass mobilization um, that does need to happen because the risk is, you know, and I had a friend text me going, Oh my God, is this going to be, is this over? I can't believe we screwed it up. And it's because we're watching it 
expecting sort of the traditional announcement of what's going to happen with this national election when it's just not what we've normally seen. Um, you know, it, the broad use of mail, mail and ballots has to change our expectations of when we're going to get results, how we're going to get results. Uh, and we can't let it set in that we are, that we've just, ex- you know, we're accepting what we're seeing tonight because what we're seeing tonight isn't the full story. It isn't the full picture. Um, so I think it's also important that, the, that it, you know, it's understandable to have the anxiety and the despair. And to be honest with you, for many of us, the trauma that we had in 2016, that is an understandable place to be coming from. But to know that for us to, you know, for us to know that it's, it's somewhat different than 2016 in the fact that there's been a different process, particularly in these swing states. And for us to know we're going to have to be vigilant in making sure every vote is counted. Uh, when the, uh, when the election results uh, from Florida first came uh, out, Maya Dukmasova, my colleague, my partner in crime uh, at the Reader was on with me and she was really disenchanted. Uh, and uh, she was saying that once again, the Democratic Party has made the boneheaded decision to go with a centrist who tries to win over suburban uh, swing voters instead of uh, building its base. I'm so sick and tired of this. She went on a great rant, by the way. I got to give her a lot of credit. Uh, And then she said, I got to go drink uh, and get over this. Uh, And then she she moved on to better things. Uh, So I'm going to ask you, Stacey Davis-Gates, and you, Robert Peters, do you agree with Maya uh, in her uh, interpretation of the Democratic Party and how it's trying to win these presidential elections? Go. Yes, I agree. And I think that there are more layers to that as well. You know, one thing about mainstream Democrats is that they will they will ask black people for their vote. They will spend a lot of time um, during the perfunctory and the performative um, to get the black vote. And some of the things that us, those of us who live on the left forget is that it's not enough to be right. You have to organize, you have to engage, and you have to, you know, meet people, meet voters where they are. And there's always a lot to lose in any election, obviously. And so I'm actually not gonna like beat voters up for thinking, well, we got a better chance with Biden because people know him from Obama and we really got to get Trump out. Like there was a calculation that folks were making there, right? And the base of the party can no longer depend on the suburbs or white women. I think that the, the party has to figure out how to embrace who's embracing them and grow that base with respect to the policies and to um, the investment in voter um, turnout and the investment in creating new voters as well. Robert? Um, I think it's a little complicated if we're talking particularly around Florida um, and we're looking at what happened in Miami-Dade. Um, I, I think, in, you know, when we look at Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania, um you know, that's very real in the fact that, you know, if it's a milk toast presentation, um, like let alone just on the policies, if you're running extremely safe to the point where your messaging is even extremely safe, it doesn't motivate people to, to come out. But I, I'm also not, 
sure how to give an analysis about tonight due to the fact of, of Malin. Um, but what I do know with Florida, I am my, my belief. I mean, because let's let's back up and remember he he's going to most likely most likely I don't want to change it win Arizona. Um, you know, Biden is Biden. Mm-hmm, so yeah. he he might have lost Florida, which to be honest with you has been a difficult state for quite some time. And, but he might've turned Barry Goldwater's home state blue. Um, but I, I do think in the fact that when we look at the Midwest and we look at, you know, both and Pennsylvania, which is, you know, a combination of like five regions that we do, we don't need someone who's just running on the idea of like, mm-hmm fluff i think the what makes medicare for all appealing you know what makes uh a green new deal appealing i mean this whole idea of you know in pennsylvania freaking out about the um fracking to appeal to people you were most likely never going to get uh instead of talking about talking about the issues that people in you know pittsburgh and philadelphia will really be feel passionate about it, it to me was a bad idea and it was doubling down on something that I think was going to have a limited return. Um, but I, 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 in my eyes, it this, like I'm looking at CNN right now and it's just weird because I see Arizona and I could have never seen that, you know, like a while ago, ever see that coming. But Florida, I had such low expectations of, I, I, I did not bank on, on Florida. Um, so yeah. <laughs> Robert, I got to tell you this, and Stacey knows that she's heard me so many times. Donald Trump is the most despicable uh, public figure that I've encountered in my adult lifehood. And his behavior is so out of control. And his behavior, like that first debate, if he was a, a high school debater, he'd have been kicked off the stage. He violated every rule that you're supposed to follow. So... I'm Robert Peters. Uh, Stacy is always uh, chastising me about uh, voter okay. shaming. She always, always does. Between Amisha Patel and Robert Peters, I'm always getting in trouble for voter shaming. But I don't know how any self-respecting Floridian could vote for Donald John Trump. Stacey Davis Gates, you know what I'm saying? It's like... And they agree with them, man. And that's the hard part about what we're experiencing in this moment is that it's not Donald Trump. It, it, it it's, it's our neighbors, family members, people we work with, people we went to college with, folks that we, you know, um, you know, see in passing. We are, we are coming face to face with the reality that it ain't Shangri-La. And no matter how hard we try to maintain social circles that reinforce our principles and beliefs, it just ain't the same for everyone. And um, that's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable. But I gotta keep saying this out loud. We live in a country that incarcerates more people in the world. Mm -hmm. And most of them are black and brown. We live in a country that underfunds schools where black and brown children attend. We live in a country where women are still making less than men. So these are our realities. You know, listen, 
they were going to kidnap the, the Proud Boys up there in Michigan wow. or wh- whoever they were. They were going to kidnap <laughs> the governor. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? Yes. Like the audacity to even explore something so absolutely ridiculously dangerous and crazy. Yeah. But they were they were like down for the moment. We also live in a country. What's the positivity rate in Wisconsin right now? 30? Like they they legit ain't wearing a mask. They don't believe it. So this is what I'm saying. Like, look, we gotta like face facts about who our fellow Americans are. And this whole concept that we're better than this is not proven through history. Just ain't. All right, let's uh, close uh, with a couple local uh, discussions. Kim Fox, Robert Peters, do you have any updates on Kim Fox running for state's attorney? We talked about that race a lot. Yeah, she fucking won. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Robert Peters. I I think I'm, 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 the one thing I will say is it is exhausting that we are still sticking to a failed mass incarceration, failed public safety policy. And you know what? People across the board don't feel safe. I don't trust people who are stuck and obsessed to some weird mythical 1980s, 90s view of public safety. They failed. They're like the McCaskies. They got to go. There's got to be some new, there's, there's got to be some new plans here, right? New approaches. You know, we got to, got to draft better to do the sports analogy. The way that this is going, this has been, has been frustrating. I mean, my, my main thing has been, on talking about reimagining public safety. And the fact of the matter is I'm not going to take advice from people who've been peddling something that's failed for 40 years. I'm not going to do it. You know, if they talk to me, I'm going to be like, prove it to me. If you have to do scaremongering and you have to be racist, then that, that's, that's deep down. That's all you had. That's all you cared about. But yeah, Kim Fox won again. Here we are. Um, so, you know, and, 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 you know, let me just say something. Let me add one more fact. The Democrat won. Okay. Kim Fox, the Democrat, because all these people who talk about supporting the Democrat, and I'm not talking about just voters. I'm talking about people in power. If you're, if you say you're a Democrat and you go after Trump all the time, let me tell you something. The Democrat won. Robert Peters, if I didn't know any better, I think you were making uh, an allusion to uh, Alderman Brendan Riley of the 42nd Ward. Uh, no when you comment. Went I'm just glad a Democrat won. Okay. Stacey Davis Gates, I know you're going to comment because I've never seen Stacey Davis Gates say no comment. Go ahead, Stacey. I mean, that is a comment, though. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, look, we knew what the deal was. Kim Fox is letting black men out of prison that were kidnapped from the city of Chicago by a rogue and racist group of cops. And um, that again, upsets the equilibrium of white supremacy. And so she didn't have any margin of error um, in carrying out her leadership. And that was the campaign. She's let too many of them out. She's being too lenient on them. and so that, that, that was literally his campaign. And those who supported that campaign have to evaluate why every person in the world gets to make a mistake except for a black woman running the state's attorney's office, even if she made a, quote, mistake, 
You understand what I'm saying? They get to evaluate why Jesse Smollett mattered more than freeing um, people convicted falsely in the state of Illinois and Cook County. What is it? The, 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 the wrongful conviction capital of the world. Right. And she's writing those wrongs. Hell, she deserves a, a parade for heroes in my book. Um, but again, I am okay with acknowledging the obvious about our country because it is not a new obvious, if you will. Like this is a thing that has been here for as long as black folks have been um, brought here and that we have to come to terms with patriarchy and white supremacy and how it has enveloped our thought process for everything. Mm. And it ain't just white folks. It's black folks too. It's brown folks too. White supremacy works when we all believe in that thing. You know what I'm saying? Mm. And so that's the thing. And so for those of us who want to see a different type of America, Cook County, Chicago, Illinois, we're going to have to have some real discussions about how we organize around justice and equity, how, you know, this translates into racial, social, and economic justice instead of dancing around it. If we're going to take a loss, take a loss because you stood on your convictions. Don't take a loss because you put, put it around it and still lost. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's wasted, uh, you know, energy. All right. Uh, very good. We're almost out of time. I just want to leave you guys with this. I uh, just got this uh, update uh, from Georgia. Kel- uh, Kelly Leffler and uh, Raphael Warnock are going to be uh, in a runoff. I don't know if you've been following that. That's the uh, uh, a senator's race. It could be pivotal in determining if the Democrats take control of the um, of the Senate. And once again, um, there will be a black candidate, a black Democrat running in the South Stacy, Robert, just get your thoughts on this. Um, man, that's a big hill to climb uh, to win a statewide uh, in the South these days. Unless you're, you know, a Republican. I think Robert and I talked about this. Tim Scott, it's one thing for a black man to run as a Republican, uh, telling the majority of white people what they want to hear. And it's another thing for a black person running uh, in the South as a Democrat statewide. Uh, and yet I'm going to be hopeful uh Raphael Warnock what's your thoughts about this uh Stacey Davis Gates you know we need to have some power in the city at Senate I'm sorry look I don't know I'm just hopefully he wins you know I don't know like Ben um it's um you know look he Biden is still up you know And we still need to like have some room in the Senate. But one thing that we have to do is that we have to fight for it. You know, Republicans fight for it. Mm. They go all out. They leave everything on the field. And at some point, you know, this illusion, this falsehood of politics of respectability have to be put down. Like people really erect respectability politics as a theme not understanding it was a tactic. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure that Dr. King wouldn't have the same perspective on respectability politics in this moment. Just yeah. saying. Yeah. 
Uh, Robert, uh, final thought? Yeah, I'll just say about Georgia, uh, I'm pretty sure it was Joe Lieberman's son who stayed in that race. Uh, I don't I don't know. I didn't see the exact results, but what I saw from Poland for the longest time was if Joe Lieberman's son, I don't know his name, Matt. because he, Matt, if Matt Lieberman decided not to, you know, run or dropped out, maybe we have, we don't even have a runoff. I, I haven't seen the results, but it just goes to show, you know, this is a thing we see within the party all the time. And it just now makes it even more difficult where millions of dollars need to be pumped in, um, in a state that does massive amounts of voter suppression. So hopefully we win that race. Um, and let's not forget that, uh, there's Joe Lieberman again being, you know, an asshole. Yeah. Some themes remain the persistent in the Democratic Party going back to 2000. All right, Stacey Davis Gates, get some sleep. Uh, thank you so much for coming on. As always, a uh, good friend of the show. And you too, Robert Peters, uh, State Senator Robert Peters. I got it wrong. You're not Stacey Davis Gates, uh, State Senator, but in her heart. You're her state senator. How about that? If I, right. I would be honored. Right. I would be honored to be Stacy senator. I'd be honored. Hey, right. Robert, as long as you keep taking those right votes, you are <laughs> a little arm twisting here. You are my senator. They call her SDG for a reason. Stacy Davis Gates, thank you very much. Robert Peters, thank you very much. And uh, that'll about shut it down. I was hoping to say definitively that uh, somebody won. Joe Biden won. But D, looks like we're going to be talking about this for a long time because they're going to be counting those votes in Michigan, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin forever. Yeah, lots to talk about tomorrow. Uh, Make sure to join us. Uh, We're live 1 to 3 p.m. Tuesdays through Fridays. Make sure you can download our uh, shows as well, both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites and wherever else you download your favorite podcast. Thanks for uh, hanging in there with us this, uh, this evening. It was, yeah, at, uh, and tomorrow uh, Monroe Anderson will be joining us. He was predicting. <laughs> I don't think Monroe's predictions have st- have done too well uh, tonight, but we'll see what he has to say. He's got a whole 24 hours to figure out what he's going to have to say. I want to thank, oh, my God, so many guests. Stacey Davis-Gates, Robert Peters, uh, Rose Colosino, Tracy Bain, Maya Dukmasova, David Ferris, Jacob Kaplan. Man, they all came out. Good friends of this show. I love them all, man. Just it's always standing by me wherever I am. And um, like I said, the results weren't exactly what I wanted, but the race is not over yet. There's still a lot of vote counting to go. And if nothing else, it'll give us something to talk about. Right, D? Absolutely. All right. Thank you very much, everybody. Take care. See you tomorrow. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.